Hello and welcome to Radio Free Nintendo. It is February 2nd. Could you believe we are in February already? Like, that's absurd. How did we get here? Hmm. It's, it's, it's wild. And I'm going to start off by saying episode 808 is a significant episode. And because that's just going to start telling you that ahead of time. So that establishes the artistic merit of this episode, headlined by Mr. Guillaume Vayette. Hello, hello. Mr. Greg Lay. Ahoy, ahoy, everyone. And Mr. John Lindemann. So am I allowed to believe that I'm on the undercard, and um, or maybe I'm the mid-carder, and Guillaume yeah, is the main, the main eventer? Yeah, there's no, there's no, there's no undercards in this in this show. Um, those are those are uh, those are kept off the card. All right, but I don't think I'm going to use correctly. Yeah, you're not you're not in the pre-show. Let's put it that way. All right. I mean, I look, I can't get you in the cinnamon toast crunch match. I can't do it. <laughs> I I don't know if I actually introduced myself, which is cool. Um, I am the mysterious uh, fourth person on the show. So you're James Jones. Damn it! Now they know. Mm. I can't deny my involvement with the show. <laughs> There's loads of them. It could be any of them. It's true. You're not wrong. Um, I know three. I'm only related to two. Uh, so what, what? no one. I'm only related to one. Um, this podcast. I guess I'm related to myself. I don't know. But regardless, uh, new business. So we're gonna do uh, our top five games of 2022 today, but we're not gonna do them in the first segment because um, we actually found this year to be remarkably difficult, and some of us, I'm not going to name names, are still in the process of we'll call it refining the 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 their lists to give you the maximum opportunity to hear their lists. I don't know. We're stalling. So we're going to do new business. And I'm going to kick off new business for the second week in a row, which I don't feel great about, but it, it is what it is, uh, with Fire Emblem Engage. So when I talked last week, I had really only got through about half the tutorial. Um, I am now 12, I think, chapters in, somewhere in that neighborhood. Maybe 11, maybe 13, somewhere around there. Um, there's, there's just been a really big story turn regarding the emblems. And yeah, so that's kind of where, if you've played the game, you know where I'm dealing with at this point. Um I'm going to talk a little bit about the game, what makes this game different from other Fire Fireblood games, because, of course, that's what's important. Uh, so, the emblem system. When I was talking about this game last week, I don't know that I even had it. Maybe I had one emblem. Maybe I had Marth. Uh, if you have not been following this game, the idea is that you, you are the son of the divine dragon, and you've been asleep for a really long time, the fell dragon who is the 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 divine dragon's enemy i guess um is also is is awakening but this isn't fire emblem awakening um and you wake up from your long sleep and um have to go face him and try to reseal him um what you use to do that what was used to do that the first time were these rings, which are called emblems, I guess. Well, I guess the emblems are the things that you summon with the rings. These rings, when are when awakened by a dragon, either the fell dragon or the divine dragon, um, allow you to summon the emblems, which are the spirits of heroes from other worlds, I guess is how they word it, or other kingdoms. It feels like they say other worlds, but... Um, this is just their opportunity to serve us up the characters that they know we already like. 
So you can guess who's in there. Lynn, Roy, Marth. Um, who else have we gotten in there? Um, I'm blanking on her name now. Uh, she's in Smash. She's the, one of the main characters from Fire Emblem Awakening. Lucina. Uh, Lucina, yeah. You know, it's it's that kind of crew. Um, usually it's like a character from the game, from, from a game. Um, so we're, this is a little bit like, uh, Tokyo Mirage Sessions in that you put on the ring and then a character on the battlefield is fighting alongside the, the hero character in that it's exactly like Tokyo Mirage Sessions, even to the point where when you fuse with them, you transform into a special looking character to fight. So, yeah, it's they're they're really retreading some ground here, including with some of the same characters um, who are apparently oblivious to their time in the Tokyo pop scene, which they really should be making references to it. It'd be a lot funnier. It's, it's, they're kind of trying to put that whole if a tree falls in a forest thing to the test. It's like, if a tree falls in the forest and the woods around to hear it, can you, in fact, chop that tree down again? Exactly. So here's the thing. In three games in the last decade, Marth has been summonable. I just want to point that out. Marth's ghost does more work than Marth d- did. Marth's ghost has a busy schedule. Um, so when you, when, you, when you attach them to a character, they gain skills as, as, their, as their relationship levels up. So the, there's a... There are the standard relationship mechanics between the characters, but then the emblem they have tied to them also generates a relate, also has a relationship. And as that levels up, you unlock conversations with them and you unlock skills and perks and stuff like that. Some of which you can inherit and you can apply them to the character rather than them getting them from ha- having the emblem. And then if you change emblems or if you just remove the emblem, because you have more emblems than you have people. Um, they'll hold the skills or attributes that you've inherited and you can combine them with other emblems or you can you know, keep them when they no longer have an emblem on them. So right now, I'm going to be really careful around this. I- I've had six. That's that's the way I'll word it. Um, but I have significantly more units than that. And I have more units than I could take into battle at this point because the game is just tripping over itself to give you characters. Uh, like you'll get three of them at a time in missions. It's like that's that's a lot. You're giving me a lot of characters in one shot right now. Game. I can only have ten on the field. Um, I don't know if that's because they thought if you're playing this in classic mode, which I'm not. Um, like they expected you to just be losing characters left and right. Um, I could see that. I could see them saying like, "Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna lose a lot of characters." You're going to lose a lot of characters. Um, so we're just going to go ahead and um, and and change that up. Uh, they changed up how the weapon triangle works. It isn't like you have a really distinct advantage anymore, which I, I, I don't... Well, let, me, let me finish talking about. Instead, um, weapon triangle stuff gives you break. So if you attack somebody when you have a, a weapon advantage, you will, with the exception of some units that are unbreakable, like uh, heavy units, uh, you break their stance, which means they can no longer counterattack during that turn. So if you break somebody, like if you're fighting an axe holder, and you break them 
with the sword, um, just like just like always, um, they will lose the ability to to counterattack for the remainder of that turn. Um, then once you uh, once you attack them, or once once it's their turn though, that's gone. And they're able to attack again, and you can't stop them. And and it doesn't it doesn't cut the other way. So like, there's no disadvantage to attacking someone with the weapons triangle advantage over you anymore. So, like they 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 really kind of nerfed the advantage when you're on defense, which kind of took away some of the more effective strategies you you could do. That was really more about battlefield management. I want to make sure I've got a unit in position um, to draw the enemy in. And give them a target they won't refuse, even though they should definitely refuse it. You can still do that with armor units, and I've got two of them. And a lot of times I can put them in a position where I know the enemies that are just just out of range will walk up and hit them and do no damage. And then I can have the rest of the army who is standing just out of reach swarm and eliminate them. And that's still an effective tactic. But when you could do with weapon advantages and really juice that up, it was a big deal. Um, there are a couple other features around um, how some of the combat mechanics work, but that's that's the big the big pit. Those are the big pivots, the the emblems, and there's a charged meter on the emblems. So when they fully charge, which is based on turns, um, you can merge with them, and you get this weird like Super Saiyan version of your character whose hair is all glowy and weird, and you get a bunch of extra skills and you get extra emblem weapons. These are more powerful weapons that you unlock as you level up your relationship with them that sometimes have special effects like they may be horse killers, which is just like anybody who's mounted is going to get have an absolutely bad day or like an armor killer or something like that. Um, there are regular weapons that fill those roles as well, but these are like special weapons that super fill that role. Um, let's talk about the, the world a little bit uh, because there is a... Um. So the the world is very pastel-y compared to the last few Fire Emblem games. Um, Elios, the continent it takes place on, uh, is very colorful, and I don't know who did the art for this game. Um, but it very much feels uh tied to. I mean, we know this game came out of Tecmocoe. Um. It very much feels like an atelier game. I thought a, I thought this was intelligent systems more so than the last than three houses. But I, I thought that this one. I thought they were involved in this one too. Well, they might be involved, but I, I was, oh, uh, maybe, that, that's the only was, impression that I've gathered from reading okay, reviews and so forth is that this was more, um, you know, kind of on the hands-on from intelligent systems than okay. perhaps three houses was, but uh, right. I, I, I can't say as I've uh, looked okay. into that you extensively. Might be right. um, I will say that the character designs in this game are just busy as shit. They are, they're kind of off-putting. They're so busy. Um, I'll, I'll give an example. Saline with an, with a pronunciation mark over the E. There's a lot of characters who have like randomly inserted pronunciation marks for a name that's otherwise normal and now they've made you inflect the the last vowel for reasons known only to God. Um her dress 
I can, I'll just put it in the chat. This is a podcasting. We're, it's a visual. It's a visual product. So I'm going to go ahead and put this in the chat so so you all could just react to it. This is a this is a major character, a major plot character who goes out on the battlefield dressed like this, and it won't let me. Why? Why? There we go. That's that's her outfit. She looks like she has an onion shaped dress. This is her battle gear. Yeah, it looks like uh, she should be in Gone with the Wind, going to a ball or something. Yeah, it's just too much. Or like it's, just, it's a huge Victorian gown. Except there's like except there's like a window in the front so you can see your legs. So the leg fetishists won't feel well, left out. Of course. Out. Of course. Right. It's it's very very bad. It's just it's just overly busy. And a lot of the characters fall victim to this like this design is just too much. There's just too much going on here. There's a there's a princess you meet where she has what looks like a spider web over her face as a veil. And it's just like a big... Actually, no, it looks like a dream catcher. It looks like she's wearing a dream catcher over her face. It's... it's Like, the Fire Emblem characters were always, like, showy. Well, no, they weren't. No, that really started with Awakening. But, like, these are out of hand. These are These are legitimately out of hand. And they look stupid a lot of times. Uh, the other thing I'll say is that I don't really care for this cast. So they talked about it. The story's been been paired way back from, I would argue, even from Awakening. Um, it feels like the character interactions are a lot less significant. A lot of times when you talk to your emblems, so like you would think, oh, they wrote custom dialogue between character and emblem. They only had to write three of them because a lot of the times when you level up, there's no dialogue. Here's a good example. You're, this is... Um, Oh, who was it? Uh, this this is a, an archer who's a prince who has some confidence issues. Basically, he goes, I don't think I'm good enough. And the response is, no, you're very good at this. I believe in you. End of dialogue. That's it. That was the whole dialogue. It's like, the, this fuck terrible. Um, I will say that a lot of the interact, the characters, like they just feel kind of two-dimensional. Like They have one attribute. That's all they're going to focus on. And in a lot of cases, that attribute is I like to work out, and so or um, the only uh, Anna, the the merchant who's a child in this game, um, is the only one that I really I've really grown to love because one, she acts like a gremlin, and two, she's just got like the dumbest get rich schemes possible. And that's it. That's all. Her, all her interactions are gremlin get rich schemes, and I'm like, great, perfect. That's a fun. That's a fun gimmick. She makes, she walks up to a character whom everybody just knows is good at making things. Game never tells you that. It's just, so I hear you're good at making things. Great. We're going to make lots of money together. It just assumes, yeah, we're going to have this big business. Well, what am I making? Oh, don't worry about it. It's like, okay, sure, whatever. Fuck it. Um, everybody talks about tea all the time. They're either drinking. like I would say half of the character interactions are just them talking about tea. The, the literal apocalypse is happening, and literally half of the character interactions revolve around tea. Either they're drinking tea, or they want to talk about where to get the best tea, or they're talking about a place that they went to that had good tea, or they're talking about what makes tea good, or they're talking about how best to prepare tea, or how to use tea to work out. I'm not joking. So much of this game takes place where they're just drinking hot caffeinated drinks. It's like the goddamn Gilmore Girls. These people talk about tea more than Fire Emblem Fates talks about incest, and that game talks about incest a lot. That's what we're dealing with. Hmm. 
Like, it's it's distressing how much they talk about tea. I mean, tea. I am more of a coffee man, but of the two, I'd rather talk about tea. I guess. There's a little like, bit more to say, I think, yeah. But I, I'm not kidding. I would say at least 25 of the character-to-character character supports I've seen are about tea. It's fucking insane. Like, I feel like I'm losing my mind when it's like, oh, hey, we're having tea. I'm like, no! <laughs> Fuckers, drink something else! People must be pissing all the time on this goddamn continent. Jesus! So if uh, Karen were here, like she could attest to this, but sometimes I get fixated on the thing and I just keep talking about it for a week or two. And I guess uh-huh. game writers also get that, I suppose. Yeah. Like how, how, like, how, how much do you want to bet that the writer for this game was just like going through a tea phase and everyone was just like, okay, I don't want to hear about tea anymore, but I guess we have to do this. Insufferably into tea. Yeah. I want somebody to get the script like like export the script of the game from from the actual game files and just like control F count how many times the word T shows up. I guarantee you it's over a thousand. It's like what why are we talking about fucking T again? Like Jesus fucking Christ, why are we talking about T again? Are you kidding me? Um, another thing the game has is you can adopt animals that you just find. So after a battle ends, you can walk around the battlefield and talk to your party who have nothing of value to say because they almost never have anything of value to say because the writing of this game is only singularly concerned with talking about goddamn tea. So that it'll be like, wow, I did a good job in that battle, huh? And that's the dialogue. That's what you get. It's like, great, thanks. Um... But then there'll just be animals lying around the battlefield. It might be like a goat. And you can walk up and the game zooms in on the goat. And you can be like, do you want to adopt this goat? And you'll be like, I guess. And then the game will be like, you don't have a good enough develop. You don't know how to take care of this goat. And I'm like, did you just tell me? I'm not allowed to adopt a chicken. Because I am not skilled enough to take care of a chicken. Because I'm, I'm not prepared for... You cannot uh, adopt this uh, Calisian chicken. It's like a Star Wars thing where they've decided to come up with names. It's a fucking chicken. Because you don't know how to raise it. How to raise a chicken? You throw fucking feed on the ground and it eats it. Mission accomplished. See the donation section of the bulletin board at the cafe terrace to learn more. So then basically they're saying pay to develop the other countries. And you'll learn how to take care of a chicken. So then you adopt these animals and there's like a little like a little barnyard on your on your like divine retreat where you hide between battles and you could just pull and pull like five of the the creatures out of your barn and and like have them in the field and then whichever ones you have they drop items so like my dog drops steel ingots every battle. Why does my dog have steel ingots? Why does he have a limitless supply of steel? I don't have enough steel because I can't make any weapons because the game only wants to sell you iron weapons. If you want steel weapons, you better go make them yourself. But like my dog is apparently an expert at just finding steel. My uh my goat or my ram, who's a male ram, produces milk. I don't want to talk about it. Um, something was producing feathers before I had any birds. That was a little weird. Uh, now I've got an eagle just hanging out and a rabbit. That's probably not going to end well. It's like, this is, there's just so much like, so they really scaled back all the, like, 
Fire Emblem um, Three Houses made you spend so much time doing prep work. Like, you would fail in the game if you didn't do the prep work. Like, it was so much of it was about going around the, the, the monastery and doing prep work before battle. And there were so many chores and shit you had to do. It seems like they really tried to pare that back. But at the same time, like, it feels like they hollowed it out and didn't replace it with stuff that was good. They just put stuff in that was stuff. Um, you could still fish, but it's like a weird, it's like a sub Zelda. It's like worse fishing than Ocarina of Time. It's like, okay, that's not great. Uh, there's a training arena, but you can only use it three times. And what you, what it ends up happening is you pick a character out of your party. And then the game randomly picks the character they're going to train against and they just fight. And so if you've got like a low level unit and you want them to level up, you'd, you'd want them to fight somebody near their level so they would have a chance of winning. Um, and getting more experience. But the game's like, nah, they're going to face an enemy they can't even damage. Have fun. Um, and so you get like a little bit of experience. It's like, oh, that's a waste. Uh, there's an arena mode that's online where like you can swap courses, or, like stages you build to like fight other people. Or you can do these relay battles where you only get two turns and it passes from person to person to person. Um, so basically like you take over you take over where the last person left off right now that doesn't work online so like you just can't do it it's just a feature that doesn't work but it's okay they'll get to it eventually um but it's the best way to get resources for crafting things so like well that sucks i can't get those resources right now yeah I, i'll be honest the 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 battles are a little bit more involved than three houses stuff but like it doesn't feel that much more involved than say like Fire Emblem Echoes, Shadows of Valentia, because there's some absolute bullshit in that game. Um, but it's not that involved. Like, I just had a mission where they wa- they they deliberately debuffed my entire party. And they wanted me to run. It was one of those, like, get to the exit missions. And I just stood my ground and fought. And did okay until they, they basically, like, okay, asshole, we're not going to let you just stand there. And put an enemy that was like level 30 in this on the field. And they're like, he's just going to come wipe you out. So you should probably leave. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just not feeling this one. Like, I don't have a connection with the plot. I think the main character kind of sucks. He's like... So he doesn't have any memory. And he's always like, gee, gosh, I guess we should go do that now. And then occasionally he'll be brave because the plot... Like, he's he's basically like shonen anime protag but boring like he doesn't have the weird character quirks he needs character quirks he doesn't have any he's such a or or she is such a tabula rasa in that respect it's just like we're gonna go do this because that's what we need to do it's like okay can you can you have any flaws at all can you be like like think about krom who's not the main character but think about krom krom has flaws he's kind of a dumb fight idiot and like that's fine that was good we like that and of course, you weren't the main character. Like Fates is the game where y- your character, your avatar, became the main character. Because uh, in the previous games, you were the tactician who was off screen. Like they would just talk to you. You weren't even a character. In Awakening, they made you a playable character. Uh, but Awakening, it's not Corin's game until the last five missions. Um, and then in Fates, as like I said, everybody talks about everybody in that game talks about incest, and you're the target. Um, this game, everybody talks about tea and how much, how wonderful it is and how it's going to save everything. I don't know. I just, 
I'm not feeling it. Like it's fine. I mean, it's good. It it it's it's good. I mean, I'll give it that. But I like Three Houses more. I felt like it it built a world that was more engaging and more interesting, and I was more caught on the story. Um, I liked Awakening a lot more. I think Awakening is phenomenal. I still think it's phenomenal. Fates. I think I liked early Fates more than this. I think Fates got weird as it went on, as the previous topic goes, and it it got it got to the point where it was really out of hand, where I'm just like, I really can't deal with how much everybody is just fawning over our main character here. Um, I don't know. Like I said, the, every all these characters feel so flat that it's it's a little bit disappointing. Like I I don't I don't feel like I get anything out of them. Um, like their interactions between one another don't feel particularly inspired. Uh, there's not that like the the last three Fire Emblem games. There was a fun part of just seeing how like you put these two characters together and see what kind of dumb shenanigans that the the writers came up for them. And there's none of that here. There's no S ranks either, so like there's none of that. But it doesn't feel like these characters really evolve that much. You get a couple characters where they interact, and it's like you have this thief character, and she has some good interactions with people that evolve over the the three support conversations you have. But it's not a ton. I don't know. I'm I'm ambivalent. I think right now on this game, like I might end up liking it a good amount. I might end up just coming off with it being okay. That's kind of the worst for me though when you're ambivalent towards a game. I mean. Like, yeah. it's got it's got components I like. It's not mm-hmm. I don't I'm not I'm having fun playing it, but I just don't care about the stakes at all. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I I, mean, I know some of the reviewers pointed this out, but they a lot of the reviewers are like, yeah, great. I like I love the gameplay. I don't think Fire Emblem's tactical gameplay is particularly great. It's fine. I think removing the weapons or changing the weapons triangle the way they did actually. Uh, decreased some of the tactical decision making um, because I don't have to worry so much about like when I'm putting my units out there, yes, they're in the range of being attacked, but are they being attacked by something I care about? Do I really care what's going to happen when they get attacked? Um, and I I felt that I've been able to mitigate the flow of enemies pretty effectively and just sort of fight small fights, fight a series of small fights per battle rather than like having to deal with getting stormed. Um. I don't know. It's I'm not feeling like uh, like there were reviews that talked about how much they thought the the battles were more difficult. I'm not feeling that right now. Like I'm not. That's not the feeling I'm walking away from this with so far. Like I said, I'm only through you know like twelve chapters. It could suddenly make a pivot into being crazy. Um, But the game's not throwing things at me. I can't immediately sort of analyze how I'm going to get around them. So I I don't know. It's like I said, this I don't think this game is is in any danger of falling. If I was giving it a number, into falling past the seven zone, but like considering where I was on uh, three houses and awakening, like that's kind of a and and uh, shadows of Lentia, that's kind of a bummer. No, you note fates uh, conspicuous absence from this conversation. Um, so I don't know. We'll see, but like maybe it'll turn. Maybe maybe I'll get it'll get better, and I'll start to be interested in the stakes in the world. But Elio sucks. Everybody's going to be peeing all the time because all they do is drink caffeinated beverages and talk about how they're weightlifting with their teacups. And I'm not even joking. That is a serious conversation that happens at least four times. Um, and uh, yeah, that's 
and nobody's talking about the fact that the literal ass apocalypse is happening just outside. So yeah, that's that's where we're at right now. The this dude's father just died, but then when you get him back, get him back to your little like hangout, he's like, "Man, I love tea." Oh, actually, it was one other thing I want to talk about. Uh, when you go into your room, because this is your this is your house, you've just let all these people in. It's set up like a shopping mall food court. The house, the 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 land. So that's kind of weird. But uh, when you go into your room and go to sleep, um. There's a mode where it's like take a nap, and that advances the time because there's different times, like there's t- different times a day, in his little little hideout, the Somniel. Um, what the game tells you to wear headphones during this segment, or suggests you should, because characters will walk in on you sleeping, and they'll talk to you while you're asleep and try to, w- and then after they stare at you for a while, will wake you up. And it's all the characters will do this, and it's random. So when you do it, you'll just hear the voice of a character going like, "Oh, he's such a good. He's such a. He's cute when he sleeps. I don't want to wake him. I should it, wake him up. That's not creepy at all. This is creepier than any face touching mini game. Like anybody who had anything to say about the face touching, this is way worse. This is somebody coming into your room while you're asleep and staring at you. At least that was consensual. (laughs) Yeah. That had uh... consent. They came to your room for this. This is somebody coming in while you sleep and staring at you. Mm -hmm. That's some serial killer shit. That's what I was going to say. It sounds like serial killer behavior. This is way worse than anything in Fates. So everyone who had things to say about Fates, you better start fucking talking about this shit or you're a hypocrite. So that's it. That's my throwdown. If you did, if you said anything about fates, you now ha- are obligated from a moral standpoint to tweet at Nintendo to take this part of the game out because it's creepy as fuck. And the fact they're like the it, game literally says the first time you do it, we recommend you wear headphones for the effect to hear so you can hear who's coming. Okay. They want this in your fucking ears. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. It's so insane. So yeah, it's it's a bunch of fucking tea addicts who sleep who creep on you while you're sleeping and are completely oblivious to the world going on around them and are fueled by doing curls with their teacup and somehow not pissing themselves all the time. What what a what an awful cast of characters. Truly hellaciously terrible. So yeah, that's that's where I'm at with with this game. Uh, I might be in a minority on this one. I don't care. Any review that didn't mention the creepy watching you sleep mode is a failed review. That's it. That should that should be a point off the score right there. Inclusion of this mode minus one point right away. I don't care if your site doesn't do point scores. You should say if we had points, I would have deducted a point for this. What a weird fucking... There's going to be... There's already a YouTube supercut out there, I bet, of people just like... Here, here's everyone staring at you while you sleep. So, so fucking dumb. All right. All right. I'm going to move on. Uh, I, I, uh, John, you've got a new, old, new game? Uh, Yeah. It's... I mean, it's... Yeah, sure. It's new. Um, I mean, it, it's a very, very, very deep remake. Yes. Uh, so this is the uh, Dead Space remake. I'm playing it on Xbox Series X, and it's uh, kind of um, the best of times, the worst of times. I would say um, the good and the bad, the yin and the yang. 
if you will. So mm-hmm. I'll do the good part first. So uh, for those of you, you know, actually, let me just step back a moment and say, you know, you've been on a podcast a long time. When a game is released in 2008 and you talk about it on a podcast, 15 years go by and you then talk about the remake of that game on God. the same podcast. Just think about that. Let that sink in. I realized that a couple yeah, times ago. So if, if it's a Sony podcast, though, it might not have to be such a long-lived podcast. <laughs> this, mm. is, this is true. It's true. This is true. Then it you could just, be two years. Yeah, exactly. It could be two years. Um, but yeah, so that sunk in, and that was, uh, that was a hilarious realization. But yeah, so we'll start with the good stuff first. Okay, so Dead Space, for those that don't know and have never played it, it's a survival horror game um, set in space, of course. Um and uh, the plot is you reply to uh, an SOS call from a um, spaceship, uh, like a mining ship um, that is in orbit above uh, a mining colony in this on this planet in the deepest, deepest reaches of space. So uh, you get there and you have a bumpy landing, to say the least, actually getting on board. You get on board and you realize that Everybody, the entire crew, have been turned into monsters, deadly monsters, uh, which you later find out are called necromorphs. And of course, uh, from that point on, you are not only trying to get off the ship, but you're also kind of sucked into this sort of plot where you're sort of finding out what caused all of these people to get turned into these monsters, and you sort of unravel clues and stuff like that. So... um and it plays kind of Resident Evil-like in the sense that your character, who is Isaac Clarke, he is uh, kind of kind of slow and, and tanky a little bit. Um, he's you know not not like the early Resident Evil games where you're where you're very robotic, but they 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 play up the tension of the fact that you know you're in this mining suit and you're a little bit slow. Monsters are typically faster than you, so a lot of the gameplay is uh, and the, the camera is over the character's right shoulder, so you have a pretty good view of the action, but at the same time, you can't really see a whole lot behind you or to the sides. So, you know, they kind of, they kind of use that a little bit to scare you, monsters popping up behind you and stuff. But it's similar to Resident Evil in the fact where, that you become quite adept at dealing with multiple monsters, knowing the monsters are faster than you, sidestepping around monsters and kind of getting the idea of, you know, when to let monsters commit to attacking you and then moving out of the way and kind of getting around them and maybe sprinting away and turning around, stuff like that. So that's sort of what the gameplay is like. There's other parts of the gameplay that as you move around the ship, um, there's some parts that have zero gravity, so you can float around and you have a little boost on your back and you can kind of fly around. That's one of the differences that uh, compared to the first game where I believe you had a limited amount of boost in the zero-G areas, but now you have unlimited boost and you can kind of fly around. So you have a little bit more freedom there. Um, other differences from the first game um, is that Isaac Clark was in the, in the first game was kind of a silent protagonist, really didn't talk very much, never took his helmet off. You never saw his face and they've, they've changed this. What they did in dead space two was they kind of added those elements in there. He actually, you know, spoke to all the other characters and took his helmet off and showed his face and stuff like that. And they've brought that same thing into this remake. So in this one, you know, Isaac Clarke is kind of more of a normal character that you see in games these days. In cutscenes, he's talking to characters, has his helmet off, sort of that kind of thing. So that's kind of a minor change. Um, 
And from what I've read, I mean, I don't really remember the first game. Obviously, it was 15 years ago when I played it. Uh, I did play it for a little bit on, on PS3 a couple of months ago just to kind of get a refresher. But um, I think they haven't made major changes. They made so, It's not so the, the, uh, the writing is not one for one. Um, you know, they've updated the, the uh, uh, dialogue a bit. <laughs> for one thing, from what I recall, there's a whole lot more F-bombs dropped in this one than there was in the original game, I could tell you that. Um, so they've kind of like tweaked tweaked that a little bit. Um, I think also the layout of the ship is a little bit different, not in a not in in huge ways, but sort of uh, the way I describe it is that you know where the the old ship layout used to zig, this one zags kind of thing and stuff like that. But it's it's a fairly faithful remake. Um, uh, I don't think they've added, I don't think they've added any weapons. A lot of the weapons in this game are industrial type uh you know lasers they're, and they're not weapons they're like they're like industrial his, yeah his, they're tools yeah they're industrial tools that have been repurposed so there's a lot of kind of laser cutting uh types there's you know there's uh the, the ripper which is a, a basically a, a saw blade that's that spins in the air in front of you and and also each gun uh has or each weapon has a secondary attack mode. So, for example, the Ripper, where you have the saw blade spinning in front of you, you can either um, keep that saw blade spinning out in front of you to deal with enemies at close range, or you can also fire it and watch it ricochet around the environment and, and hit multiple enemies. And then there's other guns like the Force Gun, where you can almost use it as kind of a gravity shotgun to kill enemies and like blow them away or blow them apart uh, up close. Or you also have kind of a gravity vortex that you can spawn on the ground. So sometimes you'll fight smaller enemies that scurry around on the ground in packs. And so they're hard to avoid because they'll just overwhelm you. You know, you throw a gravity vortex on the ground and it'll suck them in sort of thing. So there's a good variety, not too many weapons. Uh, you find, I mean, I find the problem with a lot of games is where they almost give you weapons just to say like look at all the weapons you can use but then you only wind up using three of the ten that they give you in the game because the three of them are just so all-purpose that you don't need any other ones unless you have to do something very specific but in dead space generally all the weapons are useful throughout depending on what kinds of enemies you're fighting and your enemies range from your kind of regular sort of um you know necromorphs with two big kind of blades for arms like I said, you have the little smaller enemies that kind of scurry along the ground. There's a couple of boss battles where you fight enemies in like larger rooms. Um, and then, uh, there's, you know, kind of mid-sized enemies where you have to take advantage of, you have to use some of the other powers of your suit, which are freezing enemies with stasis. You have to, you can shoot uh, a little ball at the enemy and freeze them. That helps you with certain enemies, uh, where you have to, for example, get around them and shoot them in the back. Um, and then, uh, and then the other the other thing you can also do is you can also pick uh, pick items up and grab them and throw them, like with a like with a, a kinetic attack. And so you use that to you you can use it for combat, but typically you use that to solve puzzles. Um, you know, pull levers down and pick up boxes and throw them around and stuff like that. So there's a lot of variation in the gameplay and. Um, I mean, the game looks great. It's a, pretty much if you're a fan of the original game, it's going to be exactly what you would want from a, a remake in, at, at this point. Um, lots of lots of different kind of environments. Sometimes you're, you know, of course the the uh, like 
when you're walking around inside the ship, uh, you know, they've, there's obviously the, the lighting is a lot better these days on these new consoles. So there's a lot of, they, they vary the lighting a lot more. Um, just, this it, is this is a horror game. Ultimately. It's it's a horror game. So a lot of the a lot of the uh, a lot of the uh, areas are dark, and of course you have a flashlight on your weapons. So a lot of times they take advantage of that, and you're walking around in the dark uh, with only a few things lit up. Maybe if there's a fire over here, it might you know something might be on fire, but that's the only light that you'll have aside from your um, aside from your flashlight on your gun. So they, they use that to really good effect. Uh, sound effects are really good as well. You know, you'll hear things behind you, above you that aren't really connected anything to anything. So you don't know if something's going to jump out of the wall. Um, so just very, very atmospheric. I would say much more than the original game, um, just because of what they can do visually. Now there's a performance mode, which I'm playing through game looks amazing. Uh, the graphic, the, the, graphics mode um you know of course you take a hit in frame rate um but i'm sure i mean i haven't even bothered turning it on it's uh, i mean the game looks perfectly fine in performance mode um apparently and i was watching on youtube and i guess the i guess the uh console versions of it are the best versions right now just because what it does is it loads off of the the drive Mm. and of course the faster your drive the faster it loads so, of course, PS5 and Series X, they have the SSD. And I've seen on Steam Deck, there's actually, like, you, you can sometimes, while it's, like, spooling off of the disc, since because Steam Deck doesn't have an SSD, sometimes the game will pause for up to 15 uh, seconds just to load off the disc. So, hopefully they patch that out. Uh, same thing on PC, too. If you're not playing, if you're not pulling, uh, if you're not using an SSD, you're probably going to see low times, right? So, so right now, the console versions are probably the best, um, just for that reason. And, and I haven't seen that. I haven't seen any loading off, off the, the drive really on Series X, only occasionally if you're, if you're watching for it. Like you just, you can barely see it, but if you watch for it when you're opening up a door, maybe sometimes it'll pause just a little bit, but nothing, nothing that, that is distracting, um, at all. So, yeah. So, I mean, I'm really enjoying it. Um, I'm in chapter 10 right now. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been everything that I've wanted out of the game. And so, uh, that's the good part. The bad part is that this game is riddled with game breaking bugs, of which I have encountered two. And one of them I was able to get out of. The other one, I cannot do anything about, and so I am stuck in Chapter 10 oh. until they release a patch. So, yeah. So the first is one that, is it is it known? Oh yeah, yeah. Like if okay. you go if you go to like I so I posted on EA's support forums for the game, and there's all kinds of um, a lot of it has to do a lot of problems are with item spawning, either items not spawning, uh, like uh, so. The first bug that I ran into was I think in Chapter Five. There's 12 chapters overall. So about halfway through, uh, no, I think this one was actually in chapter six. And it's the, one of the new things that they've added to this game is side missions. This was not in, side missions did not exist in the first game. Side missions are problematic. And I discovered that by, uh, in this one area, you have to bring an, an item to a, a console and insert the item. And then you see on the screen, you know, uh, you know, uh, in, in process. And then eventually, 
uh, on the screen it says process complete and you hear the audio cue like process complete or whatever. But what was happening was I, I, I walk into the room and I, you know, press A on the console to put the item in and it says processing. And then you hear the audio cue say processing complete, but the console never changes to processing complete. And once you interact with the console, you're in a room with three exits and all of those exits lock. So the console doesn't finish. So therefore the quest criteria that of the campaign doesn't get, it doesn't trigger and you're stuck in a room where you're locked in. So you can't even go anywhere. So that was game breaking bug. Number one, thankfully, I mean, if I would have had only a single save file, I would have been totally screwed. I would have, yeah. I, I would have been totally screwed. Fortunately, I just kept saving and saving and saving until pretty much, I think, I think it tapped out at about a hundred saves and then it said, yeah, you, you can't save anymore. And then I started to overwrite ones at the bottom, but I was able to go back. I lost maybe, uh, not too much, maybe like 15, 20 minutes of game time. But I, what I figured it was, was, and I was right, is I had gone off the beaten path. That's what I'm finding is that you're fine if you just basically do the campaign straight through and don't deviate. You don't go and explore anywhere. Don't do the side missions, that kind of stuff. If you start branching off and doing things out of order a little bit, like not even sequence breaking, but just like saying like, oh, instead of doing the next, the next thing in the, in the mission, in the campaign, instead of doing that quest, I'm going to go over here and investigate this, or I'm going to, I'm going to go like, like pick this thing up that's part of this side mission over here. And the side missions are really just there to kind of flesh out the lore and just kind of like give a little bit more background on kind of what's going on. Uh, they're, you don't, they're, they're, they're just, they're completely adjacent to the plot, the main plot. And I figured that I was like, okay, well, I did this. I, I broke off the, the campaign path a little while ago to go and just do this side mission. I bet you that if I go back and roll it back to before me doing that side mission and I just went ahead and did the next thing in the campaign, everything would work fine. Sure enough, I did that. Worked mm. just fine. Mm. But but this one, and so that one to me, okay, it's a bit glitchy. You know, I can almost forgive it, right? I don't know why it, it happened. I, I, w- yeah, I would have expected uh, QA testing to, to catch that, but well, sure. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I, I would have expected that too, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, that one, um, it's it's a little bit more um, ambiguous as to exactly what the cause was. I think it was going off on this side mission, but I couldn't really tell you for sure. The one that actually got me and sent me and put me at a standstill, that one to me is unforgivable because early on in the game, I think in chapter five, about halfway through. You can go up and, and, and again, uh, this happened because I kind of went off the beaten path and just decided to explore some of these areas that were open to me. There's this one area where there's like this kind of like zero G gym where you can uh, play, you can play this like uh, mini game where you can, you can unlock an achievement doing it, right? So, um, you actually, so I, I did that, got the achievement, and then there's an upstairs area. And when you walk up there, there is, uh, a key item, so you have the concept of key items. They're like these purple items, and they're they're key things that you need to advance the plot, right? Like, oh, like in this case, it's a key card that you need to open up a door or go on an elevator or something like that. And so I walk up there. This is in chapter five. I walk up and I, so I'm like, oh, cool. Like there's this key item on the ground. You can tell because it's a purple item, and that's what the key items are in the game. They're purple. They so they stand out. You walk over, and I'm like, oh, it's a key item. It's a it's a it's a key card. Cool. I didn't know what it was for. Picked it up. 
Goes in my inventory. No problem. I keep going, keep going, keep going. Chapter 10 rolls around. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going through the campaign. And it's like, hey, yeah, so the next, the, the next campaign quest is to go and get, a, get, get this key card. And so I, I'm like, oh, okay, I, I know where that is. I think I already picked it up. I go up to where the key card's supposed to be. The key card isn't there because I already picked it up. It's in my inventory, but the game doesn't recognize that. So therefore, I'm screwed because I cannot finish that campaign quest because that cam- campaign quest is dependent on me doing the act of picking up the key card, which I already did back in chapter five. It's like a classic, like just like logic disconnect. And you can't tell me for either one of these bugs that QA did not know about these. Because if I'm just like dumb Joe customer going through the main campaign, not doing anything special, absolutely their QA saw it and management just signed off on it and says, screw it, we'll, we'll patch it later. Because that, that bug is so dead easy to find, I'm surprised mo- more people haven't actually reported it. Unless it's something, I think there's a lot of problems in the game right now with um, items spawning either not spawning or spawning when they shouldn't. So I think it's kind of probably rolled up in that problem. But I mean, and, but the real kicker is I found that I, I picked up that item at about the maybe eight and a half hour mark. And I didn't realize that it had screwed my game until the 19 and a half hour mark. Oh, so if I want to go back to the save file before I picked up that item, I would have to pretty much roll back about 12 hours of game time. Oh and, my god! And do the second half of the game over again, because that—I mean, because that's the thing—that that item is now in my inventory. I can't delete it from my inventory. I can't respawn it. I can't, you know, like the 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 corpse that it's actually that you pick it up off of isn't even there anymore. So I, I'm I'm screwed. So uh, yeah. I- is there is there and you said if you go online, people are talking about this particular bug. Uh, yeah, that and a whole bunch of others. I mean, there's there's things where people are like, yeah, um, my game is now, uh, the term they use is soft locked because they'll run into something where they can't pick an item up for whatever right. reason. Um, even though it's right there, they can't pick it up. Um, there's there's other uh, similar, there's like, there's bugs where like where cutscenes won't trigger, um just all kinds of like these game breaking bugs that people can't get around. So, I mean, the 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 support forum for this game is just is just depressing cuz you just look through and you're just like, man, it's like, yeah, this 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 door won't open. I can't pick this item up, so now I'm I'm screwed. Uh it's just all these kinds of bugs like this where it's pretty obvious that they just push this one out the door and it's weird because I'm used to games being buggy in the sense of they have just like 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 uh, Cyberpunk 2077, where they just have you know goofy, goofy physics and stuff like that. Like in, in in Cyberpunk, one of the bugs that's still in that game is like NPCs will get out of a car and instead of walking around the car to talk to you, they'll just walk right through the car directly over to you. There's just goofy physics stuff like that where it's just like it's just it's brings it down from a a presentation level. But these are bugs that are so obvious and so glaring. These game breaking bugs. It's just, it's amazing oh. that this, you know, that this went out the door like this. I mean, I mean, it's end of fiscal years. It had a, it had a target to hit. Mm-hmm. It's probably all that stuff. Yeah, it's all that stuff. It's all this. Yep, 
yep, we'll patch it later. We got to hit the numbers for the quarter, all that. And or, or, it's just depressing. Or a, a patch came in super hot that yeah. when they were, it's like, we don't have time to full regression test. I mean, you and I have both lived this. It's mm-hmm. not with games, but with, with software, with complex software. This shit happened. Yeah, exactly. And that's why happened I say... happened to me today, actually. Uh, yeah, and like that's why I say that I, I can guarantee you, like I don't really look at it as like, oh my God, EA's QA sucked. Because if I'm finding... I, uh, one of the things I know from, my, from experience is that if, if a customer has seen it, then uh, almost 100% of the time, the QA team has seen it. Especially if it's a sequence thing. If it's like it, weird yes. hardware interactions, like right. that, that, that's different. But if it's like, oh, hey, here's a soft lock sequence. Yep. A repeatable soft lock. So something that you're seeing, if you can Google that specific thing and you see lots of people complaining about that soft lock, yeah, that's a, that's, that's like Link in the, in the canon in, um, was, that was Skyward Sword, right? I don't remember. Uh, where you can soft lock the game. Oh no, that was that was Twilight Princess, I think. Where you can soft lock the yeah, game. Link going in the canon sounds like Twilight Princess. There's weird clown people operate in like Lake Hylia or whatever. Yeah, and there's like some weird if you, combination of things where if you go there the wrong time, you can lock. So the game. you Sky- into Skyward the Sword. Skyward Is- Sword was the one where. Um, Nintendo released a thing to fix your save. That, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm thinking. Of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they, they did. A, yeah, because I don't know when there was there were bugs in Twilight Princess, but obviously, yeah, by Skyward Sword, they didn't really have. It was the entire Wii generation kind of came and went, and they didn't really have patches. But that was the no. best fix that they could have. I think a WiiWare app. There was something similar with Other M as well. I want to say. Yeah, they, I think they, so. they, they had. There was a problem where they had to do a yeah something that could just uh, fix your save file. Um, but yeah, that that's as that's as, <laughs> as much as we had in those days. For the most part, it just like they had to make sure you didn't have the really nasty stuff in there because uh, mm-hmm. otherwise you were going to have to just do it on another pressing of the of the disc. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and, you know what? What's disappointing? What's most disappointing to me about this is that. You know, I've seen, you know, I've never encountered, this is the first time I've ever encountered a game-breaking bug like this, let alone twice in the same play, same playthrough of a game. But it's just like, you know, with something like, you know, I've read about stuff like this in, like, say, Skyrim, right? But yeah. Skyrim, to me, I-, I can almost forgive that to a degree because there's so much going on in those games. Those worlds are so big. And there's so many different variables that you Skyrim can... Skyrim wants to be broken. It's exactly. There's just, it's, it's, I, I can see how that would happen. But this is a very self-contained game world, uh, a very small amount of missions. Like the scope of this game is so finite that I just can't believe that they let some of these bugs go out the door because they are so. I mean, I, I'm not even doing. I mean, I'm just playing through the game on medium. I'm just right. You know, I'm, I'm just. I'm not doing anything out of the ordinary at all, and I just stumbled across two of these bugs. And so the bigger one you hit was literally you picked up an item when the game didn't expect you to, right? Yeah, but the game allowed me to. So right. I, I mean, I would assume that the patch would be to, uh, you know, remove that item from my inventory and make it respawn where it when it should, because or, or recognize that you already have it. Yeah, exactly. I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking like what would be probably less work would probably be to just remove it from my inventory and have it respawn at that at that point. Yeah, and then the patch would make it so you can't pick it up before that time. Yeah, I'm just thinking from the standpoint of the way the game introduces things to you is it's usually uh, you have to have you have like a little kind of video like you're talking to this this one of your crewmates 
and she pops up in this little window. So you would have to actually have the, the, the kind of, uh, video for the normal path and then the video for the, like, you would have to make a new video with right. her, with her saying, with new, with new, a new vocal track with her saying, Oh, I see you already picked up the debt, the, that key card. You can go to this area now. So oh, I think, I gotcha. you know what I'm saying? So like, so the easiest solution would be just like deal with the, that item. The fact that that item is already in your inventory, solve that, and that way you don't have to change anything, really. But yeah, it's it's crazy. So I mean, and they actually already released a patch for the PlayStation Five because there were, uh, I think there were there were graphics issues of some sort. Mm. So they've already patched PlayStation Five, but that was a very very minor patch. Um, I'm sure they have a larger patch. But the thing is, you don't know when. It's like with me, it's like I don't want to I I don't want to go back in and, and play again and play like basically play half of the game over again. But I don't know when a patch is coming out it could be weeks so right i, I don't know yeah i mean have they commented on it no. i know you said the, the forum looks like a war okay yeah they haven't said anything about a patch yet like a larger patch but i'm sure it's in the works it has to be <laughs> um, yeah they, they i'm surprised that the forum is in a war zone then yeah yeah it, it, it's just it's more of like a depressing abyss it's like it's <laughs> it's nine pages of people just saying yeah, my game is uh my game, my game is my, my game, game is screwed. Lock. Yeah, my Fuck, game is soft locked, hard locked. Um, you know, because this remake looks really good. It's really good. That's the sad thing is that it's really really good. So uh. I mean, if I mean, you could play through this game and never encounter these issues, and oh, yeah. you would, and you would say, oh my god, this is game of the year contender. This is one of the best games I've ever played. But and, instead, and, I'm just sitting here saying like, yep, I can't play this game anymore. And like, this is one of those things where this potentially is a chance for this franchise to get off, get up off the mat because mm-hmm. Dead Space 1 came out it was a big deal. Dead Space 2 came out people really liked it. It wasn't as big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Dead Space 3 came out and it fucked the series forever. Yeah. And I mean I, it really it really did because it had all this like pay to win DLC shit, microtransactions and everybody hated it. Yeah. And this this was a chance for the series to have its its you know Rebirth, and it might still because it, I don't know what percentage of people are running into this bug. But yeah, it is. I don't, I don't know. I mean, but it's not just this bug; it's bugs. Uh, um, right. Yeah. But, but I mean, this this game is sold really well. I think it was number one in the NPDs. Yeah, it's sold really well. Yeah. So it's all over Twitch. Yeah. It's so I mean, it's getting word of mouth. It's just man, if they botched the landing, it's God. really good. It's just like yeesh, man. Ugh. Ugh. So yeah. So uh, my advice would be it's definitely worth playing, especially if you like the first game, but wait until they patch it quite a bit. Mm. Um, I, I, it's an EA game. It'll go on sale, too. Yeah, exactly. It'll go on sale. I'm, I'm, that, that being said, I don't have any regrets buying it like right at launch because I love it. It's a great game, but it's just like, man, I wish I could play it. <laughs> so oh. come on. You know? Jeez. So. All right. Guillaume. Yeah. What are you up to? Um, not much. Uh, basically this week, all I've been doing is uh, well, playing a little bit more of uh, Blue Dragon. I finished the first disc. Yes, disc. I don't have it physically, but uh, you know, like I, I, I got it done the uh, as a download. But it tells just, you, just... you know, do you want to move on to the next disc? So yes, I do. Why wouldn't I? No, I'm good. I'm done. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, actually, yeah. I guess the question can be asked, do you want to move on to the second disc? And I could have said no. There, there's kind of an ending 
to it. Like, okay. you know, the be- like it's basically the ending of Star Wars, you know, like Darth Vader still out there, but the Death Star has been blown up. So he's still out anyway. there spinning. Yep. Forever. I'm sure that there's like a, a non-canon extended universe book that explains everything that happened. Uh, I, I mean, moment. there's probably there's probably a movie coming out about, or a, or no, there's a Disney Plus series coming out just about him spinning in his, his custom Star Destroyer, Excellent. or his custom Tie Fighter. Yeah, I was gonna say his custom Star Destroyer just spinning after a, a, a Death Star trench run is something uh, I'd like to see. I'm sure that there's a mod somewhere of uh, one of the many uh, Star, Star Wars, Wars versus Tie Fighter mod where the where the all the Star Destroyers just spin in place. That's, that's mm-hmm. how it ended up crashing into the second Death Star in Return of the Jedi. There you go. That's they, true. Cut, they cut that out that it was it wasn't some brave rebel pilot destroying the shield. It was just so, so, uh, spinning's a good trick. That's what I've heard <laughs> from the big man. And then <laughs> then that happens. Mm. Look what I can do. And then Kevin J. Anderson edits a a, uh, a collection of uh, short stories where it turns out that some Ewok was piloting the ship all along. There you go. Yeah. Um, I've read too many Star Wars books. Anyway, so so, so there's one? that. Uh, and uh, well, yeah, we multiply that by <laughs> how many were there? Uh, before there are literally hundreds. Yeah, there might have been just like, I don't know, like 20, 30. <laughs> anyway. Oh. Anyway, I'm still playing yeah. Blue Dragon. And okay. I'm playing a lot of uh, Mario Kart 8. Okay. Uh, basically, this has been uh, Karen and I's go-to game um, lately. So we we played a lot of it, uh, you know, uh, 150cc. And, um, you know, usually I do pretty well. Karen does a little bit less well, uh, finds it a little bit frustrating, but, you know, getting better and better and uh, felt finally confident enough to take uh, her skills online. So unfortunately, you know, there's no way to both be playing online at the same time and have competition that is, uh, you know, at our both our levels. So it's a little bit weird, you know, like I'm, I'm usually if I'm picking Wario and I pick the, the best cart that I can, um, it's not really a contest. I'm going to be dominating unless there's someone like cheating or someone else doing the same shit I'm doing, which is kind of piggybacking off, you know, some other person who has a lower score and, uh, you know, kind of, yeah, like not facing the, the, the level of competition that they should uh but yeah usually like i'm just you know at the front no one's really bothering me but so so what i've been doing is kind of purposefully nerfing myself by picking uh cards that are not so good that are more like you know jack of all trades not really but not really like at good top speed when i i do manage to to tailor my my cart so that i'm more like in the middle of the pack and not ahead of the pack i realized that my big fear when they uh announced the deluxe edition and that they said that you could hold two items instead of just a one because if you remember in the wii u version uh each cart like you could only have one item at a time and they were bringing back the two items at a time thing and i thought like well that's going to be too chaotic. Uh, and I'm not sure I, I, I enjoyed that as much. And um, 
So when I'm in first place, you know, I get like clean air. Uh, I, I just, uh, nothing much is uh, bothering me. But as soon as you fall back into the pack, like it's like, holy shit. It's extremely frustrating. Oh, it, it's it's just it's the, when you get the compound, isn't it? So, well, you're just recovering from getting hit from a shell, and then mm. you know someone speeds past you and dumps like a banana right in front of you, and then just when you're recovering from that, oh well, now you're really near the back, and somebody's got an invincibility star, and that or a bullet bill, or you know one of those types of things, and yeah, it's it's when one becomes. Three or four, it feels like the Bulbas should be a bit more of a more invincibility period or something after you get yeah. hit. But the, I mean, it is, it is Mario Kart. Some of it is the, sometimes, you know, it can be the opposite in that you drop back, you get an item that's like really good and then you catch up really fast. But that, that does seem less common. <laughs> but, yeah. And like sometimes it's just infuriating. Like some people just seem to like kicking people while they're down and you're like why why are you doing this you know like i'm eighth or something uh i just got stopped in my tracks uh i i just uh i'm not picking up speed yet uh you're passing me you're sending me a red shell to stop me even for longer and it's like, what are you gaining from yeah, this? Like, the, you were you were passing me. You could have saved that shell for someone you know, else, just like, yeah, to protect yourself, to to, to get yeah, somebody. Yeah, some men just like to see the world burn, Guillaume. It's it's. I guess maybe maybe it's just it's just an experience for them. Like I or, get or maybe to, look, yeah. sadists are everywhere, Guillaume. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. really just it's about. It's their little way of giving the middle finger to the world. You know what I mean? Or maybe a little finger to me. <laughs> Guillaume, you are the world. Maybe it's their way of punching down. Or, or, or punching up. Or they're, they're passing you, so they're about to be punching down. Right. But like, I, I guess like maybe they see all, all the all the scores. All the scores are like around like, you know, 2,000 or below. And I've got like 4,000. Like probably, I you know, that exposes me as a fraud, as someone who's, you know, not uh again not in the right league and so maybe they're just like well he's the person to take down and yeah like now that i'm talking about it like i wonder like maybe they know exactly what they're doing like they're telling me you're not welcome here get the fuck out i don't um, <laughs> <laughs> i think you, you no, you nailed it you're right no i, I think was gonna it, say i, think I was gonna more, say i think you but the if you, the the more of the more annoying things that can happen in Mario Kart is when you have an item and it hits nothing or it achieves nothing. So right. even though it isn't really the optimal result, sometimes people will take the easy hit just to feel like, yep, that that item did something. Now on to the next right. one. Like it's, and, I am a, ch- not, a champion. Not really that useful if you're actually ruthlessly trying to move up the field but it just feels better than you know what i'm just gonna fire this shell blindly behind me and hope for the best or fire it in front mm. on somebody that's actually moving at speed that is difficult to hit so uh, that's that's how i sort of model it i have no idea I'm- whether that's correct or not I'll be I'll be honest, I don't think I've ever aimed with a Mario Kart item. I just assume chaos and just unleash the demon. It's just I don't like, know. Maybe like this is a wee bowling fan in me, but uh, a well-aimed green shell can be very satisfying. Oh yeah, no, it feels really, really good. No, I'm, I'm sure 
I'm sure it can. When, when I, you actually aim something, and get it right, in Mario it feels great because again, yeah, like I said, a lot of the time you, it's not going to happen. But like I, I can remember when playing Mario Eight on Wii U the first time, like there was a moment that was so good, I actually did a me first post about it, which I didn't do a lot, you know, but no. I did some. But like it was, it was like you. Know, I'm a certain amount behind the person in first, and I just threw a bomb at the finish line. And he, and he he was so well placed that it blew him up just short of the finish line, passed him first place. It's perfection. Uh, like it's like that. That is actual skill. Actually decided who won the race. It doesn't happen often, but that's the only makes it. But the fact that you know he's so chaotic um, most of the time is what made that moment like uh, a two a, a true sort of fuck yeah situation. I see. I mm-hmm. just, I just try to fill tunnels with green shells so they're bouncing off the walls. Like that's my only objective. If you want to, the, the fire flower is good for that kind of stuff. Just, just like oh, yeah. spam it, flood the zone with fire, and then you yeah. know it's, it's tough to avoid. The, when I don't you do that. I don't care if I contributed to my own success. I just want to know that I caused someone else to have a bad time, even if it doesn't help me in the yeah, slightest. Yeah, so, like, I mean, you were very much living what Guillaume was speaking about. But, yeah, but they're like, yeah. expo- I want to get that guy. I don't care who I get. Yeah, but that's the point. I, but that's what I was saying, is that you, oh. th- th- when they will use somebody that is an easy target, you want to get someone. You don't want that, that oh, lousy maybe. feeling of you fire it and it achieves nothing, so you end up going for the guy that is so such a soft target that it's almost not worth doing. <laughs> but yeah, I, you do it anyway. I think, I think my approach is more, I just want to create chaos, and if even if I don't hit anybody... I've at least created a situation where everyone else going through that's not going fuck, and that's that's fine. That's that's an accomplishment. Yeah, it, it's uh, unfortunately like the 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 green shells don't bounce as much as they used to. No. Like one of the things I did was uh, go back to Mario sixty four, Mario Kart sixty four uh, after playing Mario Kart eight Deluxe uh, last night, and uh, I, I didn't you know like I didn't own an N sixty four growing up, so I, I didn't. Uh, play it that much but it was like a shock uh to be reminded of what it was like how weird the 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 power sliding is uh when you're used to the the new way to do it and uh also like the green shells they just kept bouncing forever uh they were so much more annoying and they, they, they seem to keep more of them in play at all times so you know not such a problem when it you're you're in like on, on the beach or something but uh in the closed uh, in the yeah the closed circuits and stuff like that it's uh it's really annoying but uh yeah like just uh revisiting the actual like n64 levels uh, again kind of gave me a new appreciation for the work that uh, nintendo has done in mario kart deluxe uh they really reworked those tracks and uh yeah, like, it's a fantastic game. Like, I'm glad that I'm finally playing it, you know? Like, I avoided buying Deluxe um, this whole time because it didn't have what I wanted from it, which was new tracks. And now, new tracks. And hey! uh, Yeah, so basically, like, the Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is new to me because I only picked it up in the last year. I was thinking about 
you know, s- <laughs> squeezing that into like my number five or something later when we do our top five. We got the, thought, you got well, the, the booster course to like, the pass or yeah, whatever it, they refer well, to. Yeah, it. like it I found the justification for it. Yeah, but but then I, I can find actually five actual new games to talk about. So, uh, but yeah, it's a it's a strong game. It's fun to be reminded um, of just how fun this game was and is. Cool, uh, Greg. Uh, I know we talked about doing new business, but I think we're just going to go ahead and roll to the to our uh, top five segment. We'll we'll pick up with you next week. Is that good? Uh, that's uh, fine by me. All right. Well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we are going to do our top five games of a year. <laughs> hmm. I have a suspicion that some of my colleagues might not be holding to the rules as tightly as I tend to, so I'm going to give us wiggle room. Stay tuned. I'll do, I do what I want. Let me say oh. that first and foremost. We, we all know that, John. We're all very aware. This fair, isn't fair news. Enough. Fair enough. We are back, and we are going to do our top five games, allegedly, of 2022. If you have not been around Radio Free Nintendo, because every episode is somebody's first episode, uh, we do this every week. <laughs> every single week, we give the top, I feel like the that top every five week, James. of 2022. We know. Uh, no, we do this We do this annually. Uh, we used to try to do a game of the year. I think we tried to do one for the podcast at one point, and that was a complete disaster. Uh, and then we started doing like individual games of the year. And then we're just like, I don't know, let's just go with five games we really liked. It sort of paralleled my track as features editor trying to do the end of the year awards for NWR, which eventually evolved into here's a bunch of games we really liked. Um, because game of the year sucks and voting for it sucks and debates about it suck. And they're not good debates. They're boring debates. People get mad because, no, I'm not letting you make endless ocean fucking blue world game of the year. Stop voting for it. I'm taking it off the poll. That's that's the shit you put up with. So this is the approach where it, these are all our personal lists. We just go around five to one and we just go with our top five games of that we played or well. Games of last year that we played that we liked. I don't know. This is, I'm making this way more complicated than it needs to be. We're going to each name five games that came out last year in the order that we liked them. Yeah, it's my, a subjective mine, list. Mine personally will be the <laughs> the five games that... He, he's just going to say Monster Hunter in five different uh, Well, languages. it really is pretty much Monster Hunter in all five slots, but mine will be uh, the, the five... <laughs> Five games that I played on Nintendo platforms. I, would, I, I will would, say that. Oh, Jesus. I, I would actually be really impressed if you managed to just name Monster Hunter five times. That would be really impressive. But we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, uh, we're, we're just going to go in new business order, I think. But uh, I'll start with Greg then, because he actually didn't, didn't get to run a new business segment. Sure. Yep. So my number five is uh, yeah, it's a funny one in terms of to place whether it'd get on the list at all because a it was played very early in 2022, mm. so that kind of makes it harder in some ways to kind of compare with some of the stuff that came later. Also, uh, and I said this when I spoke about it at the time, it's like I didn't envy people I had to review this game because there's kind of elements in it that are yeah, very enjoyable and then there's elements of it that are you know, clearly kind of lacking or kind of shoddy. So it's like really uh, melding it all together into some kind of 
rating, ranking, whatever that you're kind of happy with is tough. But in the end, I looked at it and thought, well, I really think it's, it, you know, I enjoyed it uh, a lot and, and too much not to be on the list uh but the you know, in the end i've gone for it at number five and that is uh pokemon legends arceus uh it's mm. you know it's just um for all its sort of weirdness uh you know some, some of the technical stuff for the kind of visual um well i don't know why you'd really describe very sort of spare visually isn't it you know what i mean in, in terms of like artistic flourish it doesn't really have a lot of it but you know the core kind of loop of uh you know kind of going into these areas and uh catching pokemon and gradually kind of build it up your knowledge, you know, the Pokedex and also building up your party of Pokemon and just a kind of more single player focused take on the uh, format where the battles are faster and uh, all these kinds of things have to be sort of meticulously balanced for multiplayer and stuff. I, I, I really took to it. So, uh, yeah, definitely something that, you know, in some ways, it maybe it could have placed higher if it you know, was a bit, uh, you know, hadn't been so early in the year, or just kind of if you look past some of the technical issues and uh, various things with it. But uh, and you know, the, obviously the actual the game design elements and stuff is not like uh, completely without sort of criticisms either. But I no. think ultimately, yeah, not that there's huge gaps. I would say between any of the games, uh, you know. Uh, along the top five here but uh, I th- I'm pretty happy with it at five cool um, I guess I will go next and I'm going to completely just defy all reason here um, I didn't play a ton of new games in 2022 so we'll start out with that right, right out of the gate um, so the number five slot was kind of a weird place for me anyway Um but I like the hold to the rule of like this is a 2022 game that I played, and this is this is my feelings on it. Um, it's not that there weren't like five or six choices that could have gone here, but I went with uh, a game I actually reviewed. That's also not really a game. This was the Fault STP Lightcraft with a VTE at the end because fuck you language. Uh, this was the visual novel I gave. I gave a six to, which makes you wonder like how the fuck. Can you say this was the fifth? And so here's my reasoning. I'm basing this one entirely on how much I thought about it after I finished. So the other games that are within the letter of the law, and I'm pretty, I've always been pretty strident about trying to follow it, um, were games I got through, like Here Comes Deco. Here Comes Deco's fine. It's cute, whatever. But then I was done with it. And, like, it was over, and I was gone, and I didn't think about Here Comes Nico again until I went through my list of games I played this year. Like, that's it. Like, once once I finished that game, it, it, it like, ceased to exist in my brain, and it was out. Um, and that's kind of how a lot of the games I, I went through this year. Like, I uh, switched sports. I played it with it for, like, three hours, and then I forgot I owned it for a while, which is really messed up. In a particular way. Um, my issues with Fault STP Lightcraft are largely in the space of when it started telling a story, it did a good job. And then it just stopped and jumped ahead and called it a day. Uh, which 
I wasn't mad that the storytelling was bad. When it was telling the story, it seemed to be kind of trying to go somewhere, even though our main character kind of sucks. Um, but he sucks for a, a storytelling reason, where it's like he needed to mature to achieve his objective. But the story just decided to skip that part and literally did a time skip to after he's gone through all the sacrifice and he's achieved his objective. It's like, this is fucked up and really bad storytelling. But the world building it did made me really interested in the visual novel series that this is a prequel to. Um, I haven't picked any of them up yet, but I've been watching them when they came on sale and almost went for it because the world they built seemed interesting. It's just this character kind of sucks and he has a redemption, but they decided just not to put it on screen. And that's weird. And I don't understand it. And so I spent a bunch of time thinking about that and how you get there and how an editor doesn't go, hey, this time skip, don't do that. Uh, maybe take out some of this B-plot you threw in to make space for it. Just a thought. Um, so yeah, this is this game dominated more time in my brain than it should have just because I was confused and was trying to process why it was making me confused. So it... It gets in for that. What a weird spot to go in. But just the relative lack of games that caught my attention in 2022 on Switch and the lack of time to play a bunch of new stuff and a bunch of old stuff I went through. Here we are. Uh, John, what is your number of the five? Uh, my number five um, is a game where I definitely had my beefs with it. Um, Monster Hunter Rise. <laughs> No, it's not actually. Uh, actually, okay. I have a fa- I have a fairly credible list, not entirely credible, but fairly credible. Um, and so <laughs> number five, yeah, it's it's a game where you know I, I can't say I loved it, but I mean it's definitely and I enjoyed. It, it has some clever puzzles and it's enjoyable as a co op game, and that is it takes two. Um, oh, I can't say I loved the constant banter of the characters, um, nor the subject matter. Uh, mm. which is, of course, dealing with a divorcing couple and the way that they somehow think that their antics are going to get their their daughter to be happy again. Um, it's sort of this weird, um, kind of very depressing... It's like they're trying to make light of something that's actually very depressing, and it just doesn't really come across well, but I think that the actual gameplay is fairly enjoyable as a co-op game. A lot of kind of good puzzles, interactive stuff, Nothing too over the top or um, or confusing, but you know they they slowly layer on different types of um, things that you can do. You know you and, and it's all very it's all household sort of themed. So you know you're going through a barn and then you're going through kind of a garage or or whatever. And so all of those objects, of course, you're shrunk down, and all those objects. Um, that are normally very small to, you know, a normal sized human all of a sudden are very huge and you kind of see them in a different light. Um, so yeah, so I, I think it's definitely if for a co-op game, it's one of the more enjoyable. I mean, of course, I'm more of a Diablo three kind of guy, but for something of its type, <laughs> I thought it was, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good. That was pretty good. Definitely the, one of the one of the better games I've played, I would say. But it's just man, the, just the banter. It's just the, the characters I could not stand. I would have liked it a lot more if the characters were not just completely obnoxious. The mother and the father, just totally pretty, obnoxious. Pretty but, much ev- everybody says this. Yeah, yeah. It's and it's too bad. It's like I just felt like they. 
I felt like they were much too heavy handed with that. Um, and I don't really know what they were trying to go for in terms of, in terms of what those characters were supposed to be. It's like the father is very whiny. The mother is basically a bitch all the time for no real, real reason either. And I mean, I, I understand <laughs> that they're kind of trying to play up the disagreements that this couple has, but it doesn't make you like either one of them either. I think it's sort of trying to highlight both of their flaws, but instead mm. it just, I feel like you're just constantly seeing the worst version of them. Maybe mm. that's the point. I don't know because sometimes, you know, people bring out the worst versions of themselves, you know, as a couple. Yeah. But to that's, that's cool. That's cool for couples therapy, but for a video game, uh, no thanks. No I mean, but, unless that's the point, but it I doesn't guess it, feel yeah. like that's the point. It feels it's, like it feels like it's trying to have a, a, its cake and eat its too on that one. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's sort of like they're trying to they bring that kind of stuff in, but then they're also trying to like this is a lighthearted co op game that talks about divorce and two people that don't really like each other. You're like, what? Okay, but um, but I think the, the gameplay is strong enough to make it to number five on my list. This is a lighthearted co-op game about a degenerative dis- disease. You're no, right. <laughs> exactly about brain cancer. And you're like, what? <laughs> okay. That's my, fa- my favorite topic for games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Guillaume, what yeah. is your number five? Well, my number five is uh, Kirby and the Forgotten Land. Oh, yeah. Uh, Karen and I played through this uh, co-op. Uh, it's maybe not the best co-op game because of course uh, the second player doesn't get uh, all of Kirby's powers you're reduced to a Waddle Dee that can throw spears but uh, it is a step above the the co-op in something like uh, Super Mario Odyssey so uh, you know just enjoyable enough for us to actually do that I don't think we bothered with Odyssey to (laughs) to play co-op and yeah it's a delightful little game full of you know clever touches and funny jokes you know or visual gags or yeah neat uh details um it's really well done and the you know s- some of the stuff that we've seen about how it was made you know the explanations that the developers gave about how like well we really wanted you know we did this because uh we felt that if it looked like the hit should connect for the player it will connect, you know, like trying to, I don't know, they found really clever ways to alleviate the uh, the frustrations that can come with a uh, playing a, you know, 3D platformer where the camera sometimes is suboptimal or, you know, yeah. things like that, like things happen. So I don't know, like, I, and, and finally, you know, they, they moved Kirby to 3D. Like, <laughs> I think that deserves a... Uh, to be underlined, you know, to be, uh, to be mentioned. Um, they did it well. Like it took them perhaps way too long, but by God, they did it. Um, and yeah, like even though maybe the, the transformations are not as flashy as in like Planet Robobot in this one, uh, the, the mouthful mode, first of all, is a hilarious name. Um, and second of all, like is actually, you know, like kind of a yet another new way that they they found to put things in a Kirby game that are surprising and 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 fun. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like I, 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 I it's a it's a really good game. I'm not actually the biggest fan of 3D platformers where it's not um, kind of a more linear design. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I do enjoy my non-exploratory 3D platformers, but the 
Super Mario 64, Super Mario Odyssey, I was more lukewarm on. Um, so, yeah, like th- this one, I feel like the, just the fact that I really enjoyed it is a, is a good sign. You know, like uh, this is not my, my, um, oh, well, I guess I have to put something at number five. You know, like yeah. I, I genuinely enjoyed it. Okay. Uh, well, uh, we, uh, th- normally that's the way number five goes. Yeah. Yeah. Just a weird year. Um. All right. So that means next up, Snake Draft. Guillaume, what's your number four? My number four. Uh, it's not a game that I played on uh Switch, but uh, so yeah, I played it on Xbox. But I hear the Switch version is good, and it is Tunic. Um, a game that's very much inspired by the experience of playing a Zelda game, but actually closer maybe in puzzle design to something like uh what was the name that phil fish game um, oh yeah yeah i'm sorry but i'm blanking on it now too god damn it fez fez, fez yes yeah um yeah like I, I i i thought it was really clever uh at first you know i i was not sure about the the combat that's very punitive initially when you don't really know that you're not supposed to do the three hit combo quite yet that enemies um and you're not sure you know like there's tons of stuff that the game doesn't explain to you at the beginning on purpose um but then you know as you pick up more game manual pages in game uh a game manual that you can't really read uh, instead, you can only basically look at the pictures and try to interpret what it's trying to tell you uh, by looking at the pictures. Um, more and more, like you come to understand uh, what you're supposed to do, what the game expects of you, uh, the things that are possible for you to do in the game. And it's just, um, I don't know, a really clever way to completely change the, 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 the way that you normally progress in one of those games. You know, uh, because it feels like if you knew everything from the beginning, uh, you could play this in a completely different way than you do. Uh, but the the experience of playing it the first time is very much you're in the dark. It's as if, you know, it kind of manages to replicate the experience in 2022 of renting a game. And having only like uh, a manual, maybe in my case, in the language I can't understand because that was actually literally the case. Or, you know, like renting a game, not having the manual and having to just try stuff and not really understanding what you're doing. But some all of a sudden, okay, like something has an effect. Awesome. And you manage to make a little bit more progress. Awesome. Um, so it's uh, it's interesting to be able to give players that kind of experience uh, in the era of, uh, you know, the internet is always in your pocket. You can look up literally anything. Um, So, yeah, so really clever, very much, you know, inspired by Zelda visually in terms of, uh, you know, the world design and stuff like that. But uh, it's not just a Zelda clone. Uh, It's not just a Souls-like. It's not just a Fez-like, I suppose, if that's a thing. Uh, It's its own thing. It's really cool. And, uh, uh, yeah, I highly recommend it. Cool. All right. Since I said, since I decided on the fly that this is a snake draft, that means, Sean, you're up again. All right. Uh, this is where I go a little bit, a little bit off of the, uh, oh, I'm the script, the script. And, um, 
I'm going to take this into the realm of these are Nintendo games that I played for the first time in 2022. They're not All necessarily right. games that were released in 2022. Mm-hmm. However, however, they we already were have our first. We already have our first rules criminal. So let's go. <laughs> what you got? Yes. Uh, uh, for me, of course, there was there is the impending removal of the 3DS eShop. And so mm-hmm. I picked up a couple of games. One of those was Monster Hunter Stories on 3DS. Um, a very cool sort of uh, action RPG um, with kind of Pokemon-ish elements to it. Of course, set in the Monster Hunter universe, which I am a sucker for. Admittedly, guilty as charged. Um, <laughs> but yeah, a very cute, uh, cute little game. Um, and I have yet to actually play through it entirely, but, uh, but yeah, um, I would recommend it for anybody who is a Monster Hunter fan and just wants kind of, uh, some sort of, uh, light, almost Dragon Quest-ish, um, action with, uh, with sort of, um, rock, paper, uh, scissors mechanic, uh, where you're trying to fight other monsters. And of course, um, there is a sequel on Switch. There is. There is one on Switch as well, which I decided to not get, even though it is on sale quite routinely, which I'm, I will probably pick it up at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to get the OG version, of course, because you gotta, you gotta go back to the essence, James. You gotta get right well, back I mean, to it's a, the beginning. It's also, it's also on a time to live right now. So yeah, exactly. So even though I think uh, Monster Hunter Stories, I think it is on iOS and Android. I think. I think you're right. Yeah, but I don't know if I'd want to play that game on a phone. No. No, I agree. So yeah, it's uh, it's pretty solid, pretty solid stuff. So that's my number four. Cool. All right, my number four is Triangle Strategy, which is a game you probably forgot came out this year. I did uh, until I went through my list of games I played. Uh, I'm a little bit torn on this one. Um, it's good, and it, I mean, obviously, games made in in this engine, this which I refuse to say its name. I won't. It's stupid. Um, look nice and this game does a better job of using that effect than a lot of the other games that have used it in the past because the the you know the 3D battle space for a tactical game um does well here because you can you can tilt the 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 map view around to different angles and it's kind of get a good view of where things are and understand the terrain and stuff like that so in that case the 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 graphical style that Square Enix has given a name to that I will not repeat uh, is well represented here. The effects look nice on there. You get a lot more out of it than you might in um, uh, Octopath Traveler, which again, bad, bad fucking names. Um, but you know, I thought the the strategy itself was pretty good. Um, I thought the the branching path stuff based on decisions you make felt a little bit weird because you didn't always actually have the ability to influence the decision you want to make like you're the goddamn king why can't you just say what we're gonna do why do we have to have this stupid vote um i had a situation where they where the the allies in my party did the dumbest possible vote in the world and the vote was like your choices were like I think we should walk into a trap versus I think we should not walk into a trap. And like myself and two other people voted for let's not vote for the trap. And everyone else was an enthusiastic, just let's just step right into the bear trap fan. And so we had a big dumb fight. because It's always that guy from the Scorpio episode of the Simpsons in there. Yeah, the, the, exactly. is, is it Argentina at the UN? I want to take a chance. <laughs> 
So that's like there is some weird stuff there, but it works well. It presents well. It tells a good, not great story. Uh, the strategy is pretty solid. The character classes work well together. There's some neat stuff you can do combining units to have nice effects. Um, it was really solid. It was a really solid tactical game if that's what you're looking for at that moment in time. So, yeah, if you haven't played it and you like tactics games, it, it's a, it's not a sterling representation of of the genre. There are better representations of the genre available. There are better representations of the genre available on Switch. It doesn't do a lot in terms of um, uh, blazing new ground in its gameplay. Uh, the ability to do environmental damage to the to the world isn't new, although it's not super common. Um, some of the stuff that you can that you can do to like literally lay traps for enemies is neat, but again, it's not the first time that's happened. Um, but it, it's it's very polished, it's very proficient, and so if you're looking for a, a solid entry in this genre, there you go. Um, Greg, what is your number four? Uh, my number four is a game that uh, I haven't actually spoken about before, uh, because it is Bayonet 3. Uh, so this is like a bit, yeah, it's awkward, because again, you have the Arceus that's like going back a year, and then Bayonet right. 3, which I've been playing the past few weeks, mostly because I didn't get to it much, actually during 22. Uh, but yeah, I've enjoyed it enough that I think uh, it uh, merits a place on the list, and it's kind of going in at four here, even though, again, it's kind of a little bit unfair. So I'm not entirely done with it yet. Although I mean, I've rolled credits, but with these sorts of games, you're very much predicated on you know, kind of going back and finding some of the more hidden stuff and uh, going up on higher difficulties when you've got like well, just better at the game, but also kind of the better, some of the better kind of um, equipment or stuff that you know, like main thing for me is just uh, early on, like with these uh, games, it's, it's very much in the not just uh, the Bayonetta series, but Platinum's kind of whole ethos even go back to when they were clover i mean i think i've been playing games in this sort of general vein for nearly 20 years now because beautiful joe i played that at the end of 03 i want to say if uh, and even though obviously that's like a 2d style game it's still very similar in the sense like the first time through could be kind of a slog because like you haven't necessarily kind of improved your stats yet and then you kind of could go back and, and do things obviously a lot of it's just understand standing you know the combat better as well but certainly just like having more health uh more magic in this case kind of helps a lot too uh so i'm far from done with it but for now yeah it's going at number four uh i, I imagine i'll speak about it more in depth on another occasion but uh yeah for now i'd just say i think of that sort of lineage of, of games that I've been playing for such a long time, and certainly there's plenty that I haven't played of them, you know, like Metal Gear Rising Revengeance or Nier Automata, yeah. or, you know, they, they, there's loads, but I, at the same time, I've played quite a lot of them. This certainly rates as one of the most enjoyable, I'd say. I mean, I, I, I kind of came away for it, like, when I played the original Bayonetta and then very swiftly afterwards Bayonetta 2, because they kind of came out on Wii U together 
essentially. I sort of felt like Bayonetta 2 was a pretty, you know, solid step up from the first one. I'm sure maybe some people wouldn't see it that way. Maybe, like, you know, they're more concerned with, like, how precisely balanced the game is, or maybe, like, how kind of predicated on, like, the the technical mastery of the battle system works. But the second one game was just, the second game for me was prettier. Uh, more varied, more spectacular, you know, kind of more user friendly. Like it was just, uh, a better experience all round. I would not say the third one kind of represents that step up from the second one here. It's kind of, it's different in some it's interesting kind of ways, but also very, very firmly rooted in that platinum tradition. And, you know, the, obviously, you know, specifically the Bayonetta games, but other games as well. Like the big change is just the the way you use the demons now uh which like might remind you a little bit of astral chain but um it's certainly not like the same as that either uh but it's kind of a way of um altering the combat a little bit so you're you almost got these kinds of um overlapping battles that happen within one battle where there's one that's kind of a, on a bigger scale which is like the demon versus a big enemy while you fight smaller enemies and the way they kind of feed into each other especially like the magic power part is like to make the demons do stuff and to keep summoning them you need magic power but like to you to kind of uh obviously yeah you know you get more as the game goes on you find hidden items and two challenges and that stuff but in the battle itself like a lot of the time it'll be kind of exploiting the lesser enemies the kind of feeder enemies to you know do a, a perfectly timed dodge activate which time build up magic power in that time and then you know get the big demon again kind of uh back to work on the big enemy that has to fight because there's more enemies it's like you always fought ridiculously big enemies in bayonetta like that is not a new thing so at (laughs) first i think i was kind of like okay i'm just trying to fight it like the old game more so and but as it went on it it was more clear to me just how essentially it's like no like these big enemies a lot of them they're really designed like it's kind of it's tough for you to get near them without getting hurt or at least you know some of my skill level so it's like let the big demon thing deal with it and uh you know kind of uh you you have these like like I said, overlapping battles that happen within one. And it's kind of, kind of an interesting concept, um, that I feel like it, it, it puts some strain on the game from a technical point of view that I don't feel it handles like perfectly. Like I mentioned before I played it, like I was expecting something similar to like what Bayonetta 2 was on Wii U rather than what it is on Switch in terms of it's kind of wonky but it's fine and it's it is broadly in that kind of category but it's a bit wonkier than I think I was expecting because what does tend to happen with like these giant this sort of giant battles happening while you're also fighting uh, on a sort of smaller scale is you get these like big things coming into the camera you know it's, it's a lot for the camera to deal with it doesn't always deal with it that well but also like things have to go kind of transparent so you can see through the giant fucking spider demon's rear end or whatever while you're trying to do something <laughs> but like for, for whatever reason I guess you're just trying to manage all the graphical effects all the craziness like it doesn't have like ordinary transparencies it has this kind of dithering effect 
which is not very sort of sightly. It's not very nice to look at, but you're going to look at it a lot because, you know, like I said, it's core to the game, really. It's just like this all like, no, no, there's like almost always like some giant demon versus giant enemy kind of element to a battle. So, yeah, and, and, and it shows up elsewhere in the environments and stuff. It's just like they've blown up the scale. It's way bigger scale. The environments are more open and stuff. Like it, it definitely kind of has a different look and a different feel in, in some ways, while in other ways it's really faithful. But it definitely, it, it kind of takes a little bit of a toll. And it's like, in some ways it's more impressive than two, but aesthetically it's not as nice overall. You know mm. what I mean? Like, but I guess the thing is, is like, well, if you just tried to do, you know, two again, you know, maybe you'd be running into diminishing returns. I say it's not that different as it is, but yeah, this is the kind of angle that they took. Um, you know, and, uh, I feel like from a gameplay, perspective i'm still kind of getting to grips with it but i think you know it does it makes sense but it does kind of yeah, pay a bit of a toll on the like uh the aesthetic level it's, it's loads of spectacle it's all the turbo camp ridiculous like you know uh action sequences and stuff you've ever seen but it all, all delivers uh, you're not and again not just paying out like one for 101 any of that stuff you know what to expect so in that sense it's hardly like essential but um it's definitely i think you know one of the more fun versions of this ride that i've played it's just probably not like the most pretty or stylish in a way so yeah did that kind of stopped it from ranking any higher but still a lot of fun all right, like I said, we're snake drafting for no good reason. So what's your number three? Number three is going to be Splatoon 3. Uh, again, ah. tough to rank this because it's it's a multiplayer game, you know, it, it, it principally. But there's a single player content in it. It's enjoyable, but, I mean, it's very much in the tradition of what they've already done in previous Splatoon games, you know, so... I still kind of feel like maybe there's more potential in Splatoon single player stuff with, you know, with the mechanics than they've really done. Um, but you know, what they do here is like fine. It's, it, you can enjoy it. You play through it. They do some funny stuff, you know, with the, with the kind of abilities, like special attacks and stuff. It kind of shows you what everything does. You know, there's still that kind of quasi tutorial aspect to it while it also, you know, is kind of fun and has some challenge, uh, especially kind of the more advanced elements but um you know that's not really the point the point is the uh multiplayer stuff and you know it's again not desperately different but i do feel like uh it's um you know something of a step up from two and just kind of reinvigorating the game i mean the biggest problem with like the lasting appeal for splatoon 2 for me is just like once that initial influx of players kind of dies off you find yourself alone with the people who are ridiculously proficient at the game. You know, they've, they've, they've made sure they've got all the, the gear with precisely the attributes they want, which is, you know, the, I mean, I think there's some elements now that kind of make that a little bit easier than it was before, but it's still more like bother than I think it should be, to be honest, <laughs> to kind of get gear that's, uh, exactly kind of uh, what you might want for a specific purpose, you know, a specific, rank battle mode or uh you know some role that you're playing within a team just in a regular turf war or something but with splatoon 3 obviously with 
it's probably already taken on the little bit, but you know, for now, it's still like that. There's there's enough games going on and stuff that you, you don't feel like you're just kind of uh, marooned with with the very best that you very much don't measure up to. So, no, it's been fun. I've played it a great deal over the past. Uh, months you know since september so it's uh not like hugely adventurous game by any means which again i think probably kind of prevented it from reaching a little bit higher and there's still of course it's another one that's kind of tough to talk about because it's still getting stuff all the time you know it was never gonna right. be like okay look this is september and this is everything like you know levels to be added the events they do uh i, I definitely like some of the, the stuff they've done with salmon run like i did i still haven't been able to take down the, the kaiju salmon king thing uh like i've had a couple of games where it got close but you know like i've never quite managed that and when they did salmon run like one of the regular stages it's like it was just this sort of enjoyable kind of wonky where it's like yeah you could just get completely lost on that stage in a way that you could never do on a stage designed for salmon run but it also like you could just get away and get to an area that's completely like the salmon, the salmon, it's just can't get to. So like, if you need to run out the clock in several, it's like, well, we've got all the eggs we need. We just need to survive. Like you could do that in a way that was like completely not an option in regular salmon run, like stuff like that. I just liked like, yeah, you could tell this is just from the fact that, you know, it's not really perfectly you know, calibrated or modified for salmon run, but that that's the point, right? Like when you have like a special event, like you, you play it, play this mode in a place you don't normally do it. If it just if it felt like they perfectly modified it for the purpose, I don't I, I don't know what the point would have been. So yeah, I'm sure there'll be lots lots more of that, and it'll be very much a 2023 game. But I had much too much use out of it in 22 not to put it here. So number three. Cool. All right. Uh, I am up next, and. As a, as a hardcore rule follower of the games I played on, that were new on Switch in 2022, uh, I am 13 Sentinel Aegis Rim. So, the, the, this game came out, to, that, I think it came out 2020, maybe 2020 on, on PS4. Um, and I basically bemoaned that I couldn't include it on my list because again, I'm a rule follower and, I, I adored the hell out of this game. I thought it was brilliant. And even though the, the tactic stuff is kind of superfluous, um, I thought even just going through the, the arcane dictionary of terms and watching how the terms evolved as the story presented itself and as the components came together it, to, to tell the narrative, even though they don't even know what order you're going to receive the narrative in. So what might be a twist for one person was preface for somebody else. Um, it's it's a narrative achievement that they were able to knit together, as the name would imply, 13 stories in a way that makes sense, even though you can consume them in all kinds of different orders. Um, and w the places it goes, by God, absolute chaos. Uh, but, but Switch is the natural home for this thing, and all the reports are it looks at least as good as it did on PS4, and being able to play this in handheld would have been awesome. Um, 
So although normally I would say, and eh, I didn't play it on Switch and whatever, but I, I'm going to go with it anyway because I know this game would be great on Switch, and I know this game is great because I enjoyed the absolute hell out of it to the point where I almost considered playing it again, but didn't. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's that's the only rule bending I'm going to do for myself. But if you haven't played this game, go buy it. Go buy it right now. Go buy it right now and play it. I it's- um I got the game in a recent sale on the Switch. I can confirm it looks fine. Okay. I played for like 10-15 minutes. Uh, I got at least to a place where I can confirm that the jiggle physics are are just okay. And, they made and- it intact. Everybody's everybody's got physics, even the guys. It's a equal opportunity physics. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be some stuff in maybe like the last couple battles where there's all kinds of crap going on. Maybe the Switch might have some slowdown, but that's maybe 10 minutes of gameplay total. As long as the jiggle is adequate, I think people will be satisfied. There, there's, there is some of that, yes. This, ga- this game, this <laughs> yes, game is, is. <laughs> this game is, is lowercase h horny. It's not capital H horny. Um, so it's, it's, it's not it's not a core feature of the game, let's put it that way. It just it just comes up occasionally. Um but yeah, I, I I absolutely adore this game. It's it's phenomenal and ridiculous and like moments where I am mad at the game for the twist it just pulled on me because I can't believe it it did this crap to moments of absolute relief when it twists again and actually removes the knife it just plunged into my back. And goes like, sorry, buddy, that was a trick knife. Everything's fine. We just tased you to make it hurt. You're okay. Um, it's, it's wild. It makes, it makes some of the, some of the swings in, uh, the 999 game seem like, just like, whatever, man. Whatever. This is, this is way crazier. Uh, John, what is your number three? Uh, number three. Um, another one that I played for the first time in 2022, but it's not new in any sense of the word, is Pocket Card Jockey for 3DS. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's no, a great I agree. Game. Pocket Card Jockey should be game of the year pretty much every year. I, it, I, I mean, Jill, it just came out on would... iOS and Android, so. It, well, uh, it just came yeah, out on well. iOS as part of the app, the Apple Arcade. I don't think it's on Android. I think oh, it's part of, okay. the, part of the deal. Right. Okay. Um, but right. again, I think both you and I included it the year it actually came out. So yeah, there you go. So yeah. John, t- tell us about Pocket Card Jockey. Uh, Pocket Card Jockey, yeah, it's uh, a, it's it's the very obvious um, peanut butter and chocolate combination of a card <laughs> of a a card game and horse racing. Of course, um, you yeah, you're you're playing solitaire, right? Yep. And if you, depending on depending on how you do, you 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 have a horse, you buy a horse, and you raise horses. Um, and depending on how you how well you play in your solitaire, uh, your horse goes faster and can pick up power ups, and it's pretty crazy. It has a really good sense of humor, very sarcastic. Um, it's just a very ingenious game, and not like anything else out there guaranteed um so i mean i i highly recommend it i i would say it is the it is one of the most nintendo ass nintendo games i've played in a long 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 time 
just something where you're like, who, who thought of this? Who greenlit this? This is just, it's just in today's marketplace, the fact that this game exists is fantastic. So, um, yeah, just a whole lot of fun to play. Very, very amusing. And just, and it's something where if you, if you wrote it out on paper, if you wrote the concept out on paper, you, you would think that it wouldn't work at all, but it actually works incredibly well. So, it's my number three. Cool. Guillaume, what is your number three? Uh, my number three is Citizen Sleeper. Oh. A um, kind of a, you know, futuristic sci-fi story. Almost a visual novel, although it's got a little bit more gameplay elements uh, to it. But those gameplay elements are, are really just uh, kind of managing dwindling resources. Like, you have to keep your, your character alive, so you have to manage your energy level. Um, you have to kind of maximize the things that you can do. But in-game, the fiction is that you are this uh, escaped robot, a robot that's been created to, to basically serve, you know, like you're not supposed to be out there doing your own thing. Um, they they uh, create these robots by copying, like, someone's mind into these shells and uh, to ensure that they can't escape or that, you know, like that they, they're just uh, indentured for, for, for life. Like their, their bodies are made to degrade over time if they don't get this uh, specific drug. So uh, you are escaped on the space station and uh, you have to uh, barter for, you know, doses of that drug or you have to maybe find some alternate way to 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 get uh, the um the 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 yeah the drug that you need or the whatever it is in the drug that you need um you uh kind of build relationships like you try to make money so that you can eat because you know bodies don't just need that that uh, substance like they also need uh, uh to be fed um you you need to find shelter um, and so you meet all sorts of different people. Uh, like there's this guy who's, who, who makes these, um, like he, he cooks, he's a cook and there's not a whole lot growing at that space station outside of uh, mushroom. But, um, so you, you have, you know, if you pick mushrooms for him, um, you know, you give him the mushrooms, he'll cook them for you. But like he wants, like, at first when you don't have money, like he wants a story from you. So you choose uh, the, the the story that you're telling him and, you know, you build this rapport with him. And eventually, once you're good friends with, with someone, like so, sometimes this... Uh, the 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 this uh, need for for money kind of disappears because now like you can just go to this guy if you're really broke but you need to 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 eat like uh yeah it's all right like he's got your back um so it's really like th this you know sci-fi story about kind of finding support finding you know community um and and kind of becoming part of a community uh it's really interesting and uh highly recommend it. It's mostly text, you know, you're mostly reading, but there's some cool um uh, uh illustrations and it very much inspired by uh Akira. Um just like look up like the screenshots of the game and probably you know you'll see like what the, the robot looks like and it's very much in that style uh of, of drawing. Um but yeah, like a yeah, a cool sci-fi story. There are more chapters that came out 
uh, for free that I still haven't checked out. So I'm going to do that soon. But uh, yeah, really great game. So uh, actually, Guillaume, because we had, we're riding the snake here. So you're up next. Yeah, let's not do that next year. Um, no, I love it. I love this. I love this chaos. <laughs> yeah, What's um, your number two? Yeah, I, I just thought that Guillaume may not even know what a snake draft is. Well, so. it's it just loops back around, goes back the other way. Yeah. Right. No, I can figure with. Uh, I, I was uh, around for for like the snaking and Mario Kart, I, I, and I know what snake. snakes are like. Yeah. Like I. Yeah, I but can you've never done a snake draft in a in a fantasy football league, have you? In a draft. That, this is now this that, is now our is fantasy football snake draft for just I'm, one I'm game. Just, Let's go. But, 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 James, but is a snake draft like? The, the, do you end up just talking? You know, for two games in a row for a very long time, and no one else is speaking. I mean, we could talk. I'm just trying to give you the okay. floor. All right. Anyway, it's uh, uh I'm being yeah. No, it's good to try something new. I'm sorry. Okay. Yes. It, All right. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm an artist, not respected <laughs> in my own time. Clearly. So my number two game of 2022 is Return to Monkey Island. Uh, I'm a hey! fan of the Monkey Island series, so you know that kind of uh, weighs a bit in the balance. Um. But but I think that this game is accessible too for for newcomers. But it's not ideal. But if you've never played a Monkey Island game, I'm sorry to say that you're, uh, uh, yeah, like the 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 opportunities to get into the series are uh, few and far between. Like you you can get the original two games uh, on uh, PC and on the 360 maybe, um, but that's about it. But yeah, return to Monkey Island, um, maybe not the best place to start in terms of the story, but a, a good place to start if you've never played a, a point-and-click adventure game. Uh, really well-designed to play, be played with a controller. I had no issues with it on the Switch. Um, it uh, So if you've never played one of these games, like it is mostly kind of a vehicle, like a, a, a delivery vehicle for... Uh, uh, light puzzles and jokes and so it does that very effectively um so lots of really you know good jokes and some better puzzles that if you've been listening like all this year you you've heard me talk about me revisiting uh the chuck's revenge the second monkey island game and how like the the the, the puzzles were absolutely nonsensical and uh, I don't know what that was about. Uh, Return of Monkey, uh, to Monkey Island doesn't have that problem. Everything makes sense. There's an easy mode, which I, I used I, to, to play through the game. Uh, basically takes steps out of, you know, convoluted solutions to, to, to solve problems. Um, so, like, basically you have to do fewer steps, so it's much faster. So, you, 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 if you were just, like, you want to see what happens as a story, as a... You know, if you want the story to flow as well as possible, as as quickly as as is possible, play on easy. You're going to be fine. Um, it's a really good story. It's very much about uh, growing old and nostalgia, and how uh, things aren't what they used to be. And uh, it, it's interesting because it's um, I don't know. Like I I, I don't know if Run Gilbert the uh, you know the, the the writer of this game and the the, the writer in the first two games uh monkey island games like I, I 
I'm not sure how he's feeling. I don't know if he's okay, if he needs a hug or something. Uh, like there are references to, you know, there are themes of like feeling like the world has passed you by or, or like, or how, um, the people that you used to know, like have been replaced by younger people who don't even recognize you and don't care about you, uh, necessarily. And, uh, yeah, I, I kind of wonder if Ren Gilbert is okay. But th- th- I'm going to th- say no. <laughs> Despite this, uh, yeah, still like a, a very funny game. Um, and uh, I uh, like, yeah, like people not crazy about the style. I didn't really mind. Like it's a different uh, look for sure. But I, I feel like they worked with the budget that they had. Um, yeah, I don't want to end on this it note, was, though. It was, I mean, it was going to be... <laughs> if they didn't do the style, because the style is so iconic, it was mm. going to be controversial, regardless of what they did. Yeah. Uh, the voice acting is as good as ever. The... Uh, I, I don't know what else to say. Like, it's it's a... You have to... The, do, the story do you like it tells, these games? Yeah, I do. This is one of and them. like this is like a really interesting story. Like I think that there's more parallel between you know th- this game has more to say than any other Monkey Island game that I've played before. You know, it seems very uh, what's the word? Not pointed, but uh, like clearly there are parallels with uh, how the, the 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 guy who wrote this game feels. Uh, you know, so so it's it's just. Yeah, I kind of enjoy a good story that seems to have something to say, you know, as opposed to like, well, we've got a franchise on our hands. We've got to keep it going. Uh, so let's do that, you know. Uh, the It seems like maybe it might be the, the final game with Guybrush in it. Uh, the, the, the game does seem to end with like, a, like almost literally like closing uh, of the curtain. Um, so it's kind of like this bitter sweet feeling. I don't know. Like you, you don't get a whole lot of um, stories told in games uh, by veteran developers like this. You know. So yeah. I feel like there, there's a lot of like uh, dad of boy games <laughs> out there. You know, like there's kind of like we we've seen in the past two decades the evolution of game stories and how it seems to mirror kind of the evolution of like. Uh, a guy in the video game industry kind of growing up and, you know, getting, starting a family and like dealing with our feelings with that. And, uh, so when, when you deal with a story that's written by someone with like a, a different experience or like, you know, significantly, significantly older with different, uh, concerns and, and life experiences, it's, uh, it, it ends up, um, coming through, you know, like, and it ends up, um, standing out. So, anyway, I, 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 I really recommend it. I, I, I really don't know if I can recommend it to people who've never played a Monkey Island game, but if you have played uh, the, the series before, I, I, I say definitely don't miss out on this one. Well, I mean, where do you think, if like somebody who, let's, I, I mean, I've never played a Monkey Island game, so what game would you recommend I start with? Well, at this point, whichever one you can, which is probably <laughs> Return to Monkey Island. But if you go back to, you know, like the, the special editions of the, the first game, maybe check that one out first. I Just, think I have uh, them all on Steam Deck okay. already. Like, I, Yeah, so that he, would he'll, work. I'll yeah. buy anything anywhere, anytime. So. Okay. 
All right. <laughs> You're talking about me here. Definitely the first game, and then maybe the the second one, like while looking at a walkthrough, and then return to Monkey Island. But yeah, cool. All right. Um, let's see. That means John. What is your number two game? Uh, my number two game is Atari Fifty: The Anniversary Celebration on Switch. Wow. Yeah, boy. Yeah, this is uh, probably the best game compilation I've ever played. I mean, it's really, really over the top. Just the amount of videos that they have on there. The production value that for, went into this is really crazy. For Atari of all companies. For Atari of all companies. And I, and um, I say of all companies, both the plural sense of there are many Ataris and also <laughs> for the phrase of all companies. Yeah, and, and, you know, not only can you play the old games, you can play, you know, reimagined versions of the games um, there's just like there's a ton of content here. It's all extremely. It's packaged very, very slickly. Um, it's just it's incredible. It's actually way over the top, especially based on other Atari compilations that I've seen, where it's just like, yeah, here's a whole bunch of Atari 2600, 2600 games, and Atari fifty two hundred. Yeah, go go nuts kind of thing. But this is just really um very like uh I would say lovingly crafted. Uh, account going all the way back to the early 70s of the the um, when the company was founded. Uh, there's lots of stories from the original developers. Um, uh, stuff stuff that really like you didn't know about. Like they talk about Atari's pinball division and a lot of stuff that you know I've read books on this kind of stuff and I didn't even know some of the stuff that they talk about in here. Not only the fact that they get the that they actually took the time to go back and get. The archival footage, some of this stuff is like pretty much like they're sourcing videos from what looks to be local like news coverage of Atari when nobody even knew like, oh, look at this crazy company that, you know, that this guy has founded, um, you know, almost like a, you know, those like kind of like um, almost like human interest stories, you know, about this. <laughs> this new weird company that's been founded and look at this this kooky owner kind of thing and it's just really funny um and also you know digging into like the culture of atari and how you know some people were on drugs and some people weren't and you know sort of like the the kind of political infighting you know when they get bought out by uh by warner um it's it's just incredibly interesting much more interesting i mean it's almost more it more has the feel of a documentary than a video game, almost. Um, and and I, I say that as the highest compliment. It's just, it's a really, really good. Um, so, I mean, I would recommend anybody that's into retro gaming to check this out because it is really well done. Really over the top, actually. It's like a, it's really fantastic. So, and number I, two. I, I put that on my wish list, even though I basically hate most Atari games. Yeah. Um, it's and really just as a time capsule, it's really interesting. There's so much content here that you don't even have to really play the games to get a lot out of it. So that's pretty cool. They're good at what they do. Yeah. Um, all right, that brings me to my number two. And really, there's two games it could be. So this isn't really a huge surprise anymore. Um, for me, the number two game of the year is Pokemon Arceus. So this is the first Pokemon game I had played. Like. Uh, in a while, like a long time, um, because the format, like the format's fine. It's not the like, oh, the format's so boring now. Like I, I played three or four Pokemon main core games, and then I was just kind of like, it just, I just never was motivated enough to start one. It wasn't just like 
uh, I'm I'm out on, and I just never really had the 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 urge enough of the urge to get up and do it. Um, this one with its its heavy emphasis on exploration, of entering into unknown territory, and just trying to stay on your own feet and accomplish objectives that you set for yourself at your own pace, um. Which is technically true, but also kind of not true because there's a book with literal object, a literal checklist book. So I, I, I just found that exploring every inch of the world and trying to figure out how all the little things played together and tracking down every Pokemon I could get my hands on and getting all the points, all the little check marks and filling in the, the Pokedex book. This literal book, um, as I went, was really rewarding. And yeah, getting into the getting into the battles, they they felt good. They were quick. Um, but really, to me, it was more about just wandering around this world and, you know, stumbling into something that was hidden or finding a way around a challenge that was giving me issues or you know getting the thing that I needed to see and just exploring the whole world in, you know, absolute detail before moving on. I mean, we talked about this, Greg, you and I, where it was like, I had four stars, I think, before I left the second area or something. In, like, I had enough stars to clear the game or something crazy. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I think I probably, you know, kind of stuck around and worked it up quite, more than maybe they might think a lot of players would because like i really didn't have to do much like to kind of advance my research level or whatever to until like the the end game basically you know it was kind of mostly i was already kind of above that you're kind of naturally in the course of my you know just uh kind of in the way I was inclined to play the game because I mean naturally tracking above the kind of requirement levels for almost the entire kind of uh, length of the regular story. But you, on the other hand, would way, way yeah. more thorough than that, vastly more. And that, that, that's the point, isn't it? As you mentioned, is like there is quite a lot of scope for just like your individual kind of uh, approach to manifest itself here in terms of you know how rigorously do you kind of work to because because that's the other part of it isn't it you know yes you can you know you you're kind of obliged to fill in these pokedex entries on pokemon to uh you know uh, level up that uh kind of uh overall knowledge base but you could do it different ways you know you could right. you could be like yeah all right i'll just catch a shitload of them or it could be you know like using them or all, all these other things so that i did like that the fact that it ultimately kind of boils down to I say exploring and cataloging and essentially mastering these environments, but right. there's different ways you can do that, and a definitely different a pace at which you do it, and different like how much do you kind of you know do like really big long expeditions, uh, you know, or you know kind of smaller more targeted ones. Or how much do you flip back and forth between areas, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it just uh, the freedom there. 
uh, was was I think pretty impressive, even if it wasn't literally you know one big open world. You know, it was a bit right. more like kind of Monster Hunter in, in some way. You know, in terms of like kind of sectored off bits and stuff. But the scale of those places and the the kind of uh, freedom you had in them, uh, I think, kind of uh, compensated at least to my taste for like the the fact that it wasn't you know, truly one big place. I I, I had this this thought about it as I was kind of preparing this list about that topic in particular and like would this game have worked if it was one big like if it was just all the spaces plus they created some transition zone um, would it have worked and I think it might have been overwhelming uh, because the game doesn't have the same degree of like I want to fast travel around as like a Zelda or a Xenoblade does um so you really do have to kind of make your way to places on foot. And now obviously you get ride Pokemon that changes a bit. Um, but I, I, the, the constraint almost made it easier for me to scout out expeditions and go like, okay, I am going to this back corner of the continent. That's really, or this area that's really hard to get to. Um, because I've only been there once, you know, probably because I was running from something I can't fight yet. Um, and I stumbled across it and thought, hmm, I should come back here. Uh, but I didn't have any more slot because you remember, you can only carry so many Pokemon that you've caught with you, and there's all kinds of weird restrictions. Um, it's like, I need to go back there and really start doing, you know, do work. I've got work to do back there. and Or maybe I've only been there during the daytime, and it's a real pain in the ass to get to at this point in the game. So let me try to get there at night because things might change and, and get to work on that spot. Whereas if it was a big open world, it would have been hard to just mentally track all the places that I had ex- I've explored this area during the day. Let me go over there at night. Um, I've got some work left to do in that area. I observe something over there I want to go investigate. It kind of forced me to to sort of compartmentalize my thinking, and it made it easier for me to track th- outstanding questions I have. But yeah, I mean, yeah, this game mechanically does is it do this is a weird situation where mechanically the game's not particularly great. Uh, performance-wise, it's not good at all. Um, but it is... It's got such a neat idea. And it's an idea that resonated with me personally. And, and look, we've talked about this almost every year since Xenoblade X. There's one of these games every year where it's this Nintendo-furnished exploration game. It's a Xenoblade X. It's a Breath of the Wild. It's a Xenoblade 2. It's a... Mm, a Legends Arceus. It's another game that might come up in a minute. Um, and I just lose all sense of self and just go off on an expedition and really get deep down into like the fine grained details of the world. And this one definitely did it. But also, this is the first game I've played where it felt like these are actually Pokemon living in a space, doing things. Uh, like Pokemon... Uh, Snap did that to a degree, but it was all scripted. It was a it was a theme park. Ride. No, of course, yeah. This is this is a, a world in which they inhabit. Like I want to catch the Rapidash. Every so often, I run into him, but he's pretty rare. I'm going to see if I can catch that bastard. And so and there's just, just the whole like, thing of just nailing the 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 actual hitting them with the ball is pretty oh, satisfying, yeah. <laughs> you know. Especially oh, like yeah. some of those where it's like it's a flying one in the air and it's quite far away, but you've got one of those really good, you know, kind of uh, balls that you can just throw on a line 
and yeah. you nail a shot from distance and it actually counts like that that's very satisfying and it just kind of it's, the, it's an element of you know because it's something that's always been kind of portrayed in Pokemon you know the, the, especially like in the, 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 the other media like the animated stuff of like nailing Pokemon with the ball but it's not really something that uh, has been in that many of the games, I guess. Um, you know, but the kind of more in the prominence in the mobile game, right? In Pokemon Go, like that's the whole yeah. thing about that is like actually hitting them with the ball, and then that kind of bled into Let's Go Eevee and Pikachu. Right, the, mm-hmm. the the red blue kind of remakes on Switch, so it's been coming in for a while. But this is the first time that I played it, you know, in a game where you know it kind of was so uh, front and center, and it just like you said, especially with this whole thing of like yeah, this particular kind of habitats for the Pokemon and particular behaviors for them and stuff, oh, yeah. and it's just like you're being at you sort of sneaking around lining up the perfect shot and then having to like the stupid thing of like those heavy balls where like you just sneak behind them and then like just drop it on them pretty much smash them in the head yeah like there's something deeply satisfying about sneaking up on a pokemon way stronger than what you should be messing with getting behind them especially one of the i can't remember what they called them but like the ones that were in like a rage state getting up behind them and just smashing a heavy ball into the back of their skull and it, and it catching, and you're like, now I've got this level 60. I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do with it, but I got him. Um, There there was uh, one of the moon... I think it was the Jigglypuff, Igglybuff, the, the baby version of that. Uh, I think that's what it was. That, like, is, is only in one place in the entire goddamn world. It's like one little area around a pond. And it spawns super infrequently. And it runs away as soon as it sees you, no matter how far away you are. So the only way to catch it is to sneak up in the high grass behind its pond and just wail on Because if you try to fight it, it runs away too. So just start wailing on it and hope you catch one. I spent like an hour and a half on that bastard. I finally got him. But it was it was the hunt, the chase. Like it actually felt like I am I am pursuing and stalking the Pokemon I'm after. And it it, it was an extra layer of things to plan for. Um, how am I going to get that guy? That thing looks really, that Bronzong looks really scary. Can I do something about it? Well, it's in my way, so either I have to fight it or I have to catch it. Can, can I can I catch it? Let's see if I can catch it. Um, it turned out to be just like a really cool experience, and and we you know we talk about the different ways you can play it. Remember, I played this game for like eighty hours. I think Greg, you played it for like less than thirty. I don't know whether we, it was we, quite that sharp, but, uh, you know, like I said, I kind of, um, was not as thorough. Still, you know, kind of had, uh, play, you know, some wiggle room for most of the game. And then, you know, I did, uh, you know, saw the credits, but then I did, the, you know, I think most of the post game as well. Though, like, I mean, not quite all of quite- it. Maybe, but there's, quite a bit. there's there's plenty there. So, yeah, because I I really enjoyed it. I played it for a really long time. Like I said, I mean, it could have gone higher because there's not a huge gap between uh, the each individual step here on my list. Mm. And like I said, it was early, so it's kind of got you know uh, a bit of a disadvantage there. I guess the biggest dis- the biggest thing it doesn't have on its side compared to games, as you mentioned, some of these sorts of experiences that it's you know kind of drawing inspiration from. Uh, you know, in, in the Nintendo sort of sphere, is it's just not 
a very pretty world to look at. No, it's just not. It's not. Because it's one thing, you know, you could say, oh, like, oh, the, you know, I mean, and obviously these you know, are the sorts of things that make it harder to have a, a good looking kind of environment. But, you know, in terms of the popping and, and, you know, some of the hitches and stuff, but it's just not very, you know, the art design is not of the world, if you know what I mean. It's not particularly kind yeah. of robust, you know. It, it feels very functional. You know what I mean? It's just like, okay, the, which is funny, you know, I mean, like, it does it does work. It does work for exploring. It does work for having these little areas, you know, these little habitats for the different Pokemon. But in terms of, like, does this feel like an actual place? Even if it's in some weird, like, heightened artistic license kind of place? the way that you might think of like yeah, Xenoblade X I mean it's not like realistic but it feels like right. it's own place it's own bizarre sci-fi alien place whereas this is just feels like no this is a space in a game for stuff to happen you know the artifice yeah. is completely laid bare um, so like uh, and you could debate how important that is you know for this sort of thing I guess uh, you know because it, it's mostly just about kind of the experience of, you know, kind of going out and, and like I said, it's actually mastering these environments. But I guess if the environments felt more immersive or felt like they had more personality or flourish, I think it would add a, a significant element to the game, even if it's a little bit intangible. And obviously it would just be prettier to look at, which is always worth something. Yeah. Yeah, it text like the texture work in this game is pretty pretty bare bones it's 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 noticeable i will say the pokemon though look really good yeah that's the thing i mean the, 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 there's elements of it that uh, you have some appeal uh in terms of you know obviously i mean the thing with po- the, the actual pokemon themselves and all that is that that's something that's built up over a lot of games i guess <laughs> you know whereas the yeah. stuff that felt like bespoke for this game you know felt just like very like okay just just do it, you know, do what, do the minimum pretty much, so do what will actually serve the function necessary. And we all know the ridiculous, you know, I mean, the, the, I, I'll, I'll give you a little spoiler. My number one is not Scarlet or Violet, but, you know, like, I wouldn't have minded playing those in 22, but it's the, you know, they would already played Arceus. Like, he's ridiculous <laughs> that, that you could have, you know, that is like the big, entirely open game, right? And that's even more like technically you know, coming apart the seams. Uh, you know, what they've sort of been asked to do is, uh, is tough. So it's not, though, do I say some of these things is not really a slight against the developers at Game Freak per se. It's just the result is what it is you know and, and that's why you know it, it didn't get higher up the list but um you know there's elements of it that were just really really engaging in a way that certainly i had with a a pokemon game before necessarily or or even a lot of games that try and you know put you on some big adventure in a kind of you know strange new world yeah it's it's uh it's a cool game uh, Greg, what is your number two? Number two is going to be Kirby and the Forgotten Land. Yeah, re- a really well executed, uh, you know, kind of transition into 3D from my point of view. Uh, partially because I think not only did they just, you know, kind of, uh, do a lot of things well, you know, from an execution point of view, but also I think it just necessitated a little bit of a nerfing of Kirby, which is you know, like you couldn't just keep going up and up and up. 
you know, with, with repeated sort of float jumps the way that Kirby usually does, you know, like to, to mm-hmm. rein him in for the 3D environment had to be like, okay. Right. Well, so you just put like half a car in his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> 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 That's the thing is that, is that I've said this with various, you know, Kirby games over the years. It's just like he does need to be nerfed for it to be like, for it to kind of work at times. Like, like with Robobot, it's like, yeah, you put him in a giant mech. He's kind Kind of less powerful, but that's what's brilliant about it. <laughs> and yeah, you've got some of that with the mouthful mode stuff, but also just in his, in, you know, because this is in 3D, his basic mobility is different. It's, it's exactly what they did, funnily enough. Not something that many people are going to hold up as this cherished, beautiful uh, transition from uh, one, you know, from side scrolling to 3D. But it's exactly what they did with Other M and the kind of space jump. And screw attack in that, you know, in, in side-scrolling Metroid games, you could just keep going up and up and up and up. Whereas, you know, in other M, it's like, well, no, like it, you could keep going at a certain height with the space jump, but, you know, like it just doesn't really work in 3D for you to be able to keep just going infinitely up with these sort of repeated jumps. And then that kind of left the grapple beam to be the thing that pulls you up in an environment. And it actually, for me, kind of balanced Samus's moveset more than the 2D games were. And that's what you got with Kirby. It's just like, yeah, by the, the fact that the 3D makes them kind of uh, say, okay, no, no, you know, it, it makes it more important. There's more of an actual, like, legitimate platforming sort of foundation here of like, no, well, Kirby, yes, he could, you know, just keep floating over stuff for ages, but you've got to get that high in the first place. And that's like the, the quintessence of platformers, isn't it? You know, it's getting up somewhere on platform. So I kind of feel like it's um, something that they couldn't have got away with so much in a side-scrolling Kirby game. It's like, yeah, you know the thing Kirby's always been able to do from the first game? Well, he can't do that now. But when you move it into this like you know, very Super Mario 3D land kind of transition to 3D, where it's really quite faithful... To side-scroll in most respects, but you just you've got to make some accommodations for the fact that it is in 3D. Uh, it, it's it, it really worked out very very well. Great looking game as well. Great sounding game, of course. Kirby soundtracks are always really good. Uh, this one is no exception. And you know, uh, plenty of stuff to do. I pretty much did absolutely everything, including the like secret. The you know, turbo <laughs> uh, extra hard version of the last boss in the arena and all that that's become a kind of Kirby staple. Uh, yeah, great stuff. I, re- I mean, there's not much. I didn't really put many feet wrong, if that's a <laughs> phrase, <laughs> with this one. I think they did a great job considering it is, you know, the, the, the first time uh, that they've actually released the 3D Kirby game anyway. I can only assume, you know, that there were quite a few aborted kind of experiments over the years and maybe they, oh, yeah. you know, kind sure. of fed into, you know, this actually turning out rather well, you know, the first time at it. Uh, but then, yeah, for the, the last one, might have already guessed it's Xenoblade Three. Uh, that that is the number one. Uh, it just it, couldn't really uh, come up with. Again, I wouldn't say it's leagues above the others, but I couldn't really come up with an argument for any of the others to take its place. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm obviously in the same boat. Like Xenoblade Chronicles Three was the absolute. I mean, from a, from a pure numbers standpoint, it absolutely dominated my year. <laughs> uh, 
140 hours basically and uh a three hour podcast that i recorded and edited actually almost four yeah it was it was bad powerful um and i still have things i want to say about it but there's almost it's almost unnecessary because i recorded a four-hour podcast about yeah it. but it, there's a lot to it obviously yeah you know, the, the mechanically the places the narrative, you know, there's, 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 there's an awful lot to that game. Um, you know, you could, uh, that's the, you could talk about it for uh, just, just individual aspects of it for a great length of time. I, I mean, these Xenoblade games are, are, they're all, they're all really good. They're all really, really good games. They're all immediate competitors for my game of the year in the years they come out, unless they happen to come out, come out in some really insanely packed year. Um, but, this one, you know, that they all do different stuff. Uh, that there's, you know, there's obviously there's themes, themes and variations, but like there, there was a lot of symbolism in this one that was kind of interesting, like, like literal symbolic representation of, 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 dare I say, subtext, which is not something Xenoblade 2 ever cared about having subtext. Um, it was very interested in having text and only the text. Uh, but there, you know, there's, uh, I, I mean, the, I, the, this, this is, I don't know that I would call the story allegorical, but I mean, the, the, the characters here are filling in archetypes for a statement about a society that is not this game society. Oh, like sure. It, it is- yeah. I, I, I mean, I couldn't help but look at it a little. I don't think this, I don't think this came up in the spoiler cast. It's certainly something I'd thought of before that, and maybe I just didn't get around to because again, there was a lot to talk about, but I couldn't help but look at it from a specifically Japanese point of view uh, in the sense. Of, oh, yeah. You know, the, the, the fact that they get, not to give too much away for people who, because this is not a spoiler cast, but you know, the game's villains are a bunch of old people, <laughs> basically. Yes. You know, they have the, exclusive privilege in this world of being old um you know and then you know all the shit that the sort of uh, the, the 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 young people have to go through essentially just serves to prolong their lives and you know to they just get to revel in it basically they get to revel while all the young people suffer and die and uh, it's like mm. That uh, you know, I, I don't know, not nearly well educated enough on the specifics of uh, Japanese, uh, you know, sort of culture and and the current circumstances there to know exactly how it connects. But you just feel like with their demographics and you know power structures, there's uh, it's got to be something <laughs> that, that well, kind of informed that. Well, and to. To, to not only is is power completely vested in the hands of the old, uh, the young are treated as a finite but yet somehow disposable resource, which is a very particular situation when there's just not that many young people in Japan. Like it's, it's a real problem. Um, but you know the 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 administration of government is an extremely conser- taking extremely conservative positions. Uh, very, it's again, without getting into spoilers um, and has strongly embraced rising militarism. Uh, you could, you could argue this might be a political allegory for the current 
the current political situation going on in Japan. You could also argue it's an allegory for a non-military conversation, for a non-governmental conversation. It's a, it's an internal allegory for the kind of struggle that we all go through. Cause nobody, like the, the core conflict of that game, again, it's not a spoiler cast, is ultimately an internal conflict. It's conflict that everybody faces and how you deal with it and how you, how you decide to push forward. Um, you know, there, it's, there's a there's an, a degree of nuance that certainly Xenoblade 2 wasn't it. I mean, maybe with the exception of Amalthus's character, but that's just a nihilistic nuance. Uh, <laughs> Is there space for nuance and nihilism? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Um, I'm going to find it if there is. I, I think he already did. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm going to be the first one to find it. I don't. I don't care about anything except ending everything. is is kind of a weird perspective, um, but there there's a there, there's a there's like a real flexibility in how and how like what felt like a very rigid world they were setting up, and how characters react and how they evolve and how they change and how how you see that the this they don't stop the game and go let's world build. Instead, you sort of like discover the world as you move through it, as you talk to people. You become aware that things we talked about this in the spoiler cast. It's not really a spoiler. Um, that not all colonies are the same, even though this is a military organization. They should be enforcing sort of a rigid sameness. In actuality, there's real logic in how these things built and how they were set up and how they behave and how they act and how their specific location influences the structures and the people, how the people change, even though the people are constantly flowing in and out of this thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure there's plenty of nits one could pick. In terms of oh, like, sure, you know, yeah. like, Oh, does this entirely make sense? Or that other? But as a general thing, it just, to, I was impressed to me. It just seemed like there was an extraordinary amount of thought that went into, Okay, we have this sort of the premise of the game, you know, the, the the sort of central concepts of what the, the world is like and the way it works. Now, how could you have all these different sort of variations that exist within that uh, that would just be interesting for players to discover, but also make it feel like you know it is an organic world, even though it's had right. this very artificial structure imposed on it there's still this kind of you know way in which you know things meet those criteria in different ways and you know the, the people sort of express themselves and yeah it just felt like they thought about it a, a ridiculous amount and everything you know for everything they said about the, the the you know the kind of perfunctory and sort of functional nature of the world design in Arceus is the exact opposite in Xenoblade oh, 3. Yeah. Like everything is so artistically created, you know, so that it looks beautiful, that it, you know, it works, but it, it, it all just feels like it's, again, it's sort of fantastical, you know, it, it, of course, you know, it's on this sort of scale that's very, very impressive and, you know, makes you feel like you've gone to another place. But on the other hand, it's it sort of richness, and uh, you know that that also makes it feel like it's a place you can get lost in. It, you know, that it's got enough like verisimilitude to, you know, kind of just uh, slide into it, and and you know that's very true about a lot of the aspects of the game. It's just so rich. 
you know, the music, the art design, the, you know, the, all the various systems as they're certainly, you know, you're quite complicated and stuff, but, uh, it, it, it feels much more polished and, uh, you know, purposefully crafted than two, uh, did to me and, and probably than, well, than any of them, although, you know, I haven't played Tawner. Yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. I, I think, I think what, one thing you point out, the vert, uh, the the fact that everything in the world feels like it belongs there, uh, that it's believable that the whole that the whole structure is built there. It, that it also creates moments where you're out, especially if you played the game like me and just explored everywhere, and you would just find something that shatters that illusion, and you would think like, oh, that must be a mistake. Like, why would they have left that in there? But no, there was always a reason. There's a door I found. 20 hours into the game just slapped on the side of a mountain like a graphical mistake like you look like a graphical error and for a hundred hours i had no idea why that door was there it's way out there you could totally miss i'd imagine the majority of players never saw it and then it's not like a cave or anything it's just literally like a fucking door and then 120 hours in there's a reason why that's there and it completely makes sense why it's there. And it's absolutely like a shocking moment that it's there and what it's for and why it's there and who put it there. That the fact that it bothered me for the most of my gameplay, that that thing existed and it made no sense worked. It, it, it did its job. Um, God, what a cool game. What a cool fucking game. John, what's your number? What's your number one game of 2022? Um, unsurprisingly, it is Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak. So, not a new game, but an expansion of the original game. A big um, expansion. Yeah, a big expansion, adding a couple of new maps, um, and plenty of new monsters. I mean, but you know, staying true to kind of what they do, they they kind of uh, they kind of get around having to create new content by creating variations of existing monsters. Um, I mean, they do have a couple of new ones, but that's typically what they do is they have a couple of new monsters and then they have um, variations of ones that already exist like Risen Teostra and, you know, they they have some sort of uh, Lucent Narcacuga, right? So they always have um, – they always kind of do a, a palette swap, I guess you could call it, or like a repackaging of the existing monster with some sort of new theme, like either it's fire-based or it's, uh, you know – um, I think Lucent Nargacuga is sort of ice-based or something like that. Um, and of course, the monsters are more difficult. Um, and they've you know added a couple of new systems. Um, the big theme in uh, Sunbreak is that uh, you um, these these little creatures, let's just say, have uh, made these monsters very angry. And so you have an entire system of using those creatures to, you know, kind of augment your armor. Um, you have entire, like, quests uh, to do uh, to kind of get that currency. So there's a whole lot of... Uh, in some ways, I'm a little bit a little bit cynical with it, where, like, I look at it like it's kind of padding. But it's also, like, I think one of the problems they've had with previous games is you eventually run out of stuff to do, really. Um and they've, that's really not a problem in this game. There's just tons and tons and tons of stuff to do. 
with the Sunbreak expansion. So, um, and I mean, it's the same same gameplay um, as always. You know, they haven't really changed that too much. Not that they have to, but uh, yeah. I mean, I've sunk so many hours into this game. I really, it couldn't really be anything else but my number one. So, yeah, Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak is my number one game of the year. Cool, Guillaume. I think we know, but what is your number one game of 2022? Why, it's uh, Pikmin Bloom, of course. God damn it! No, yes. it's, uh, I'm pretty sure that came out in 2020 anyway. Or well, it's, anyway. it's been around for a while. Yeah, uh, Live Alive, of course. Um, it was just the right game at the right time for me. Um, it's like this exceptional remake of... A, an old school RPG, an old RPG. So of course, old school RPG. Uh, that was innovative. I said it right, right? Close innovative, In- innovative. Uh, innovative. Yeah, the, the, this, yeah this, uh, there's, a, there's a regional difference with these Americans. You would say innovative, and uh, Britain, British people. I used to hear more would say innovative. But but mm. as with many things in the internet age, I feel like innovative is just like completely taking over now. Like I don't hear innovative as often as I used to. <laughs> so, right. So yeah, pick one, I guess. But uh, okay. We know what you mean. <laughs> so it's it was back then innovative. Uh, it inspired, uh, you know, famously um, that other famous game that I can't remember the name of right now. What is wrong with me? Delta Rune Undertale. Um, Undertale. Thank you. The the, mu- uh, the music that's a direct like tribute to it. Uh, the you know the, yeah. the megalomania, yeah. megalovania thing. Yes. Yeah. So so Live Alive basically was like this anthology RPG. Not really something that you hear about much. <laughs> like it's not something that had been attempted before much or since. Uh, so little short stories, um, depend, you know, like from maybe like one hour long to four or five hours long. So really like short compact chapters set in different, uh, time periods, different genres. Uh, sometimes like they're, they're barely recognizable as RPGs. Um, you know, most of them will have, uh, turn-based battles. They all use kind of the same system. Um, uh, but, uh, there, there, there's like um, the, the context will will change dramatically. Uh, one of my favorite chapters is, of course, like Edo, Japan, uh, where you're you're playing uh, as a ninja, and you have a choice again. Like you know, um, it, it inspired Undertale. Um, so in that chapter, you have the choice to kill some enemies, or all enemies, or no enemies. Uh, no human enemies anyway. Like, you still have to fight, you still have to level up uh, against these, uh, like, demon enemies where you can find them. But otherwise, like, the, you, you, you can get rewarded for killing no humans. Uh, or you can get rewarded, I suppose. I haven't tried that path, but I guess you can get rewarded for killing all the humans. Um, so that's really cool. There's one chapter that's extremely short where it's almost like a, a Street Fighter 2 setup. Uh, it's basically a series of bus fights and, um, essentially the, 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 you know, it's using that turn-based system, but, um, the trick there is to, uh, fight the characters in the right order to learn their moves 
uh, and to use them against, uh, you know, the next enemy. So you, it's kind of like a little bit Mega Man-ish in that uh, you, you, uh, yeah, you, you gain a weapon or a move or whatever it is uh, that you can use uh, that uh, the next enemy is going to be weak uh, too. Um, there's a, uh, yeah, there's like the, the sci-fi chapter where like there's barely any combat at all. And it's mostly like you're, you're, you're being chased by this giant alien thing. Uh, there's tons of references to classic sci-fi, um, which reminds me that I, I still have, I think, to watch a uh, silent running one day. Or maybe not. I don't know if it's really good or not. Uh, I, I've, seen, I, I've seen it. It's kind of, uh, I'd, it, you know, I didn't love it as much as, you know, some of the kind of, um, uh, you know, adoration that's out there for it, but it's kind of an interesting old mm. sci-fi film. And yeah, I definitely feel like it inspired that one part of Mario Odyssey where they've got right. the sort of, uh, funny kind of, uh, robots, these sort of clanky, like robots looking after plants, yeah, which is basically care, yeah. what that movie is about. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, so so it's like really cool, and then um, unfortunately, like the the game is not perfect. Like I think that the game is at its best when you're playing these initial kind of short stories, and then the second half of the game uh, is a little bit longer. Like it's the longest chapter of them all, and unfortunately, it's also the most old school of them all. All the previous chapters, uh, like I think that none of them or very few of them even have. Um, random encounters but the that last chapter is deliberately kind of a a retro style rpg like a callback to, you know like a, a dragon quest again you know i i talked about blue dragon doing kind that of fu- it's kind of funny isn't it like the mid 90s thinking of like oh yeah you know cast your mind back to Eight years ago, <laughs> right? <laughs> but you know, it, it relatively, you know, I guess it, it was a, you know, a, a, a fair amount of time, especially for people who you know would have played Dragon Quest at a very young age, and then you know might have played Live Alive mm. a bit older. It just would have felt kind of like yeah. That. Um, so, so what happens in that one? Yeah, so the 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 random encounters are there so that that's kind of a bummer because i was appreciating the fact that there were none or or very few up to that point um but but yeah like it's kind of a i, I go saying that it's like a deconstruction of like old rpgs or old school rpgs would be maybe going too far but it's certainly like examining <laughs> old rpg tropes and and saying like huh like isn't that interesting like what would happen like what what is this about and and um yeah so you know like there's a a few twists along the way um it's i don't know it's a game that is really worth playing today i don't know if it would have been true like i don't know if i could have said that if this wasn't a remake uh they did a lot i think to make it more palatable to uh you know, today's uh, audience. Uh, also, it's not just the 2D HD if I'd... Yeah, I'm sorry, James. 2D HD? Yeah, they they HD, say HD 2D, so I, I chose HD. to interpret your flip of the order as a sort of act of defiance, but uh, perhaps not. Mm. HD 2D if I'd the, uh, the, the, the original art. You know, like, they, they added a whole lot more details. They didn't just, like, make pixels blocky or you know uh 
3D. Um, like they they're, they completely redid the art style, thankfully, because one of the reasons why the game was originally passed uh, over um, when came time, like when Square Enix was deciding, do we bring this to uh, North America? Was that it was not as good looking as Chrono Trigger or Final Fantasy three, so they you know they passed on it. So completely redid the the, the graphics. Uh, it looks fantastic. It's got like a very cinematic presentation, like some really really cool moments. Uh, the music is great, although I will say Megalovania, as much as people love it. Uh, comes back a little bit too often because there are several chapters. At the end of each chapter, there's an end boss. Every end boss has Megalovania uh, <laughs> playing. It's like okay, like I, I'm I'm sick of this now. Uh, do, you get, do you think? Do you think there was a possibility that like originally they would have had added more boss themes? But it's like oh, but you know, like everybody's crazy, especially in Japan. For mm-hmm. Undertale, and and that's like no, don't change it. We want we want no. to hit people over the head with this <laughs> song that was you know very direct inspiration for Megalovania. Yeah, oh. I I don't know. It's it's possible. At least again, like uh, the same that thing that they did with the the graphics added more details. I think that they they added more complexity and you know made Megalovania longer. You know, it's a little bit of a different composition. I think. Um, so yeah, it's good. It's just, uh, maybe a little bit too much, but yeah. Uh, so fantastic game. I would recommend it to anyone who loves RPGs, uh, from back in those days, but doesn't necessarily want to go back to playing the actual RPGs <laughs> from those <laughs> days, you know, uh, lots of concessions were made here. Um, and, uh, yeah, like it tells an inter- interesting story and it, it just, uh, yeah. I, again, like the the right game for the right uh, at the right time for me. Perfect. All right. Well, we're kind of up against it, so I don't know that we need to do honorable mentions unless somebody has something that they're screaming for. Uh, well, I, I'll just do the sort of you know the bit where you're getting played off at the Oscars acceptance okay. speech. All right. yeah, I'll just read them off though, because I mean my list was pretty boring in terms of like yeah, it's just a lot of the major Nintendo releases, which you know it's just like yeah, I, I kind of am loath to have it be that unimaginative, but that's just how I felt. But I've got some you know stuff that's a little bit off the beaten path, so I've got Mel. Melatonin, I talked about recently, the Rhythm Heaven mm. uh, kind of style game, indie style, that I really enjoyed that. That came really close to getting in. Uh, Cuphead, Delicious Last Course DLC, excellent and great on Switch in general, that game. Uh, Elekhead, an indie game with a sort of very you know, kind of stark retro aesthetic with some fun kind of puzzle solving. Uh, the Klonoa Fancy Reverie Series remake port of the of you know, one and two very enjoyable to go back to those sub break excellent and uh Mario strikers battle league not the there's not that much to it but uh it's to me it was great for that uh, sort of game essentially to come back and probably the best balanced uh most kind of consistently enjoyable sort of vehicle for that uh kind of multiplayer action they've done yet cool uh, Guillaume, John, you got any honorable mentions? Um, on the non on the Nintendo space, I did play quite a bit of Diablo Immortal, mm. so I enjoyed that. Even though I'm not really playing it right at the moment, um, fact, I've dipped out of it. But yeah, it's I mean it's a really good it, for a mobile Diablo game. It's great. So, 
Cool. Mm. Uh, Nintendo Pentiment, really good. I'll probably mm-hmm. talk about it again, uh, maybe next week. I, I need, uh, like we finished it a while ago, but I, I feel like, uh, yeah, I would definitely have more to say about it. Um, and, and Karen already started like another game, uh, just to try different things, uh, make different choices in the game. So I'll talk about that, uh, next time, but yeah, Bayo 3, Mario Plus Rabbids, I, I feel like I both haven't played enough of either to put them in the list but also i have played enough of them to know that probably uh, it was a good idea to leave them off the list um yeah other than that uh yeah i didn't want to pull a a, a lindemann and and say like oh yeah doom 64 and final fantasy 12 and pinball fx3 are more games of the 2022 so uh i did not do that but I, I did play a lot of games from the, the past years uh, as well. Like, oh, uh, God, I mostly live in the past. Yeah. <laughs> oh, on that. You can do both, John. Jeez. <laughs> oh, on that conclusion, uh, Greg, what is our music to wrap up this show the week, this week? Well, yeah, when we started recording, it was Groundhog Day. So, oh. uh, yeah, you've got to have, you have something suitable for Groundhog Day. In, in this, it's not something from Sonic 3. Which I believe was released on Groundhog Day. So, some one of the Sonic games. I've seen this old commercial where it's like, oh, coming on Groundhog Day, Sonic. And it's like, oh, we may as well call it Hedgehog Day or something. Jesus. <laughs> no, it's not that. Oh, it, was that a UK thing? I or? don't know. I've seen this on the internet. And, and it's just like hmm. doing the rounds Weird. on Groundhog Day. And it's like, I don't know what Groundhog Day is. Like, don't tie your release to. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. I don't know what's that. I mean, because yeah, I'm trying to think like you know, if that if, when that would have lined up with when the film actually came out. Because obviously it was the you know, early mid nineties was the sort of same time around when Sonic was getting ridiculously big. But anyway, it's not Sonic. No, the Nintendo Groundhog Day adjacent thing to do is Majora's Mask because it's about oh. being trapped in a cycle of three days, admittedly, and uh, whatever weird holiday that uh, Clocktown observes where they have the yeah the fireworks and everything. I don't, I don't think it's got anything to do with a particular animal, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it seemed to have some inspiration from that concept of being trapped in this loop and doing stuff. So, uh, I have chosen something from uh, a kind of arranged album that came out, I think, shortly after the game did. Um, so, when you know, Ocarina of Time had like a symphonic album that came out mm-hmm. a bit afterwards, uh, you know, with, with actual you know live instruments doing versions of the you know the the songs from the game. Now, with Majora's Mask, they did not do that. It, it, it's called like orchestrations or something. So it's, it's basically just like higher quality synth than what the N sixty four could offer. Uh, is the first thing but also they could have very much embellished the song so they could have added intros and like middle eights and stuff because a lot of those are like really tight loops there's not a lot there really um you know so they kind of strung them out into something a bit more you know like a longer version and stuff so the one i've chosen is uh this sort of uh, embellishment of the astral observatory theme 
which is uh, always, you know, in its original form, it's a very relaxing theme. Uh, it's kind of interesting, actually. <laughs> I mean, not that you needed a telescope to see the giant fucking grinning moon about to kill everything, <laughs> but it, it always, it but always you needed kind of, to see it cry. The place that you know has the best view of the doom that is about to kill everything it has such wonderfully, like you know, kind of ethereal and relaxing music. I always found it a weird choice but I liked it and this version as I said just kind of takes it and uh, you know just like has more like of a build up with the kind of instruments uh, and uh, like I said has like a middle eight in there and stuff uh, just a, a nice version of you know kind of uh, what was originally you know pretty simple but like really kind of uh, enjoyable so cool all right well on that it is time for us to go send us your emails and we will see y'all next week bye everybody Bye. Later. Bye-bye.